Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. This is Patrick. With me, as always, is Julius. And it is week one in the NFL, Julius. Um, super pumped for the be football season again. We get to talk about our, you know, mostly everyone's favorite sport to watch. Uh, you know, not only ours, but for the mass public, most people uh, get really amped up around football time. So um, we're going into week one. We're going to start off with a Thursday night game. But before that, I just want to say a quick thing about what we saw Thursday through Monday. You know, <laughs> most starters and most teams don't play their starters because they're worried about injuries. Um, unfortunately, we saw a lot of injuries uh, that ended people's seasons in week one. So clearly sitting yeah. out preseason and, and not playing games, unfortunately, just doesn't help everybody. Um, and we've talked about this. We talked about the playing surfaces. Uh, shocker, New York had another injury there. Um, we've talked about playing surfaces we've talked about back in the day when people played preseason and got in the time and worked on their bodies more and didn't have as many days off we've we've talked about this in length in other podcasts so i won't go into it on this one but if week one is going to look like this and what i mean by that is if your team won i'm sure you're excited if your team got stomped out i'm sure you're not very excited and you know but i'm just saying like it was a lot of sloppy football julius it was it was just there was a lot of bad football being played in week one, and that, to me, is because they've shortened the preseason. They've shortened how much guys can get work in during the summer, during the offseason, during during practice anyway when it is the season. Um, and it was just sloppy, sloppy football. You know, it's just not a product. And we, this has happened the last few years. You know, we always said, and we said last year on the podcast, week one through four is essentially the preseason. You don't really know what teams are until you get about past week four. So week five, week six, week seven, that's when you kind of can start to understand what a team is going to look like for the year. So um, to me, it was just disappointing, you know, with the quality of football that was played uh, in week one. Uh, yeah, the league has shifted the purpose of preseason, uh, to your point. Uh, it used to be starters get ready. For the season, use this time to prepare, knock off some rest, get your body right. Now, it's just a straight money grab. They're not trying to hide it. It's a money grab. Nobody of relevance is playing in these games. You even have rookies who could really use the reps sitting out preseason games to avoid injury. So, it's just there. And, you know, the tickets are as expensive as regular season tickets in a lot of cases. So, it's just there just to be there. It's just there for a money grab. And you combine players, star players not playing the preseason with the fact that a lot of games this weekend, particularly on Sunday, were affected by heavy rain, wet conditions. All of that led to a lot of sloppy, sloppy football uh, to start the season. So with that said... I'm going to say this a lot throughout this episode tonight. It's just week one. It's just week one. Nobody won a Super Bowl this weekend. Nobody got eliminated from the postseason this weekend. So just let's just keep that in mind as we flow through this. 
With that said, uh, let's hop into the Thursday night game, a game that uh, you and I talked about last week, Patrick, the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Lions find a way to eke out a one-point win, 21-20. And you got to see kind of what I was talking about last week with the idea of I understand that it's Mahomes versus golf, and you're going to take Mahomes over golf 10 times out of 10. But at times we overvaluate the quarter or overvalue the quarterback position. It's not just about the quarterback. If, if it's Mahomes versus golf, Kansas City wins. That's simple. But to go into a game missing your top offensive weapon and your top defensive player, when both of those guys are in the conversation for best at their respective positions, that's a lot to ask. I don't care who your team is. So it's not surprising to see Kansas City lose this game. Not surprising to see Detroit find a way to win this game. Uh, I like how this game went for Detroit for the most part, especially early on. Dan Campbell made his presence felt early by going for a fake punt inside his own 20 to start the game off. Scared me as <laughs> somebody who picked the Lions, but uh, they converted, and that that's true Dan Campbell form. So he's saying, hey, we know the pressure's on us, the spotlight's on us this year. We're going to be the same Lions we've been. So they use that to take an early lead. Then you start seeing those Lions' mistakes start to creep in. Uh, you see Marvin Jones Jr. fumble, a fumble that was caused by our guy Trent McDuffie. That killed a red zone scoring opportunity for Detroit. Uh, then you see Detroit, for whatever reason, accept a holding call that if they had declined it would have led to fourth down. That leads to Kansas City getting a scoring opportunity before the half. No surprise. You give Mahomes an extra chance. You get what you get. And, uh, even in the third quarter, Khalif Raymond, uh, fair catching a punt inside zone 10. There's a lot of guys doing that, and I don't know what's up with that. But uh, he makes that mistake, and the Lions go three and out and give up good field position. And you're starting to think, okay, now the Lions are making those mistakes that we expect or that we associate with the Lions. But then comes the play of the game. <clears throat> Everybody knows what play that is. Mahomes throws a perfect pass to Kadarius Toney. Goes right through his hands. Brian Branch, the part that gets lost here. We're all caught up on Kadarius Tony and how sorry he was on Thursday night. But Brian Branch makes an amazing adjustment to that ball to catch a pass behind him with one hand, bring it in, and go for a touchdown. And, you know, when I picked the Lions to win the NFC North, and they didn't win it on Thursday, but when I picked them, I said the rookies will have to step up. They had four of the first 45 picks in this draft, and each of them played a role and made plays in this game. And that was the big play from Brian Branch. But you had Laporta making nice catches. Uh, you had Jack Campbell making plays. He had a nice uh, pass defense on a diving play uh, to save a big play for Kansas City. You had Jameer Gibbs, who ran with more power than some may have anticipated. And I like the role they had him in. A moderate role, but still an important one. You get to the end of the game, Kansas City has a chance. And you know, with Mahomes having the ball in his hands at the end, and you only need a field goal. You feel good about that, but you end up with fourth and 25. Why? Because those tackles that I talked about, Donovan Smith commits a holding penalty, shocking, and Jawan Taylor, who false started the entire game and tipped plays because he kept lining up in the backfield every time it was a pass play, they finally called him for a false start. So these new tackles both cost you with the game on the line. You wish you had the tackles from last year, but you don't. Mahomes still made a great play. 
They could have been caught by Scott Moore on fourth and 25 for a first down, but Scott Moore just didn't make the play. And then you had one more chance defensively to get a stop. All Detroit did was run David Montgomery up the middle three times to get a first down. You know who might have stopped that? Chris Jones. And guess what? Chris Jones got paid right after that. So the Chiefs understand. So good win for the Lions. Again, if the Chiefs had their guys, they probably win this game. But it's sometimes a matter of when you play somebody more than who you're playing. Detroit picked the right time to go to Arrowhead. They escaped with the win. On the next week for the Lions. Yeah, this um, Lions snuck away with the win, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not not saying that I'm not impressed uh, with how they played. Again, on the road, Super Bowl champs. Yeah, I mean, it's always impressive to get a road uh, road win in Arrowhead. Um, you know, golf played how golf's been playing. Uh, again, he wasn't super sharp, but he did then turn the ball over, made plays when he needed to. Um, the thing that impressed me the most with the Lions, Julius, and and I and I was a big, um, I wasn't a big fan of the Jameer Gibbs choice, and we talked about that in our draft podcast. Um, but I think the Lions' run game, just watching it and you know live on Thursday, has a chance to be really, really special. Uh, I know fantasy owners are upset that Gibbs only got seven carries, and and David Montgomery got a bulk of the work. Um, but that duo, in my opinion, has a really, really strong chance, especially behind that offensive line, to be really special this year. Um, Gibbs just looked faster than everyone on the field, and he just runs so smooth. And and just watching it live, um, again, still don't know if I would have taken him where they took him. I think they could have got him with the second pick in the first round, but um. Probably couldn't even gotten where they got Brian Branch in the second round, but he looks like he's gonna be a difference maker for them when he has the ball in his hands. And and just watching it live again, I know Kansas City. We talked about Jones extensively. Didn't have Jones, um, but still, and I know Kansas City's not the greatest defense in the world, but there are no slouches, and you don't win the Super Bowl by being a bad defense. So, um. I, it was just impressive to watch, especially as a rookie coming out in the first game, which is a Thursday night. Uh, you don't get as many practices and all that stuff to implement the game plan. So uh, Gibbs Gibbs looked better and faster than I thought he would. Um, again, David Montgomery, I know people were making fun of him. Again, again, fantasy people uh, about they said they brought him in for uh, pass blocking needs, and they're showing this one play where he gets ran over, which he still didn't let the guy touch the quarterback. So still doing your job as a run as a pass protector as the running back but also they didn't show the clips of him standing defensive ends up and other linebackers up when he was in there for pass protection so um you know David Montgomery to me I thought had a great uh first game as a lion uh I know again I know people are mad because Gibbs had a a six yards per carry average and Montgomery only had a 3.5 which is not terrible but um he also as you said they used him three straight times to, to seal the game. So, um, and a lot of his carries were, you know, get the tough one or two yards to, to pick up the first down. So, um, again, uh, Alan Ross, a Brown had a great first half, uh, kind of went away in the second half, um, had a great first quarter too. Um, Josh Reynolds, you know, did a lot more than I thought he would. Laporta, as you talked about, whenever he was coming out, you said that you thought he was going to be show that he's a better receiver than what he was in college. And, 
uh, his five receptions, I think, prove that he's going to be a valuable asset in that offense. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I talked about it when he got drafted. And you know I was excited for Brian Branch whenever Detroit got him because I thought he would start and play immediately. And and as you already talked about, the interception for a touchdown, um, great play by him, terrible play by Tony, great play by him. Um, I'm not going to talk about Tony too much. I don't need to. You, they, the Giants and him and their fans already have a beef. I don't need to add to that fire. Um, but even in this game, you know, without – Mahomes having anyone to throw to, um, they still almost won the game. So I'm not worried about the Chiefs. Um, the Lions still, for me, have have to prove it throughout the entire season. But you can't take the one win away. You know, people are trying to to downplay their win. They're one and zero, and and the Chiefs are zero and one, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, again, the Chiefs though on offense, and I haven't talked about the Chiefs a lot. If you think about it, their defense even without Chris Jones, only gave up 14 points because the pick six, I don't put that on the defense. So they still only gave up 14 points. Normally, the Chiefs are going to win games. So the offense does concern me. You know, who's going to step up and actually make the plays when... when it's, so we don't know how long Kelsey's going to be out. So is it going to be four weeks, three weeks, two weeks? This week, are they going to force him out there because their offense looked terrible? They... Had no run game, you know. Mahomes can't be the leading rusher uh, for your team, and the lead, it's just that's not a sustainable way for the Chiefs to win. Now, this is the first time uh, I watched a Chiefs game where I just was like, Patrick Mahomes reminded me kind of, like I felt like he was kind of in the Josh Allen role, where it's like just bail us out and and do everything and be our lead rusher. Which again, a lot of his rushes were he stood in the pocket, couldn't find anything, let me scramble out. Uh, which is a lot different than Josh Allen's game, but as your quarterback, you can't your quarterback can't be your leading rusher and and throw it forty times, and that's normally that's normally not a recipe for winning the game, um, especially with the way the Kansas City offense runs. So hopefully someone steps up again. Tony had five targets, only one catch, and he probably should have had five catches on those five targets. I'm pretty sure three of those hit him right in the hands and or face mask. Um, McKinnon only had one catch, which was surprising to me. I thought maybe they'd do a lot more uh, wheel routes or, or flats out of the backfield for him after the passing game wasn't working. Um, MVS only had two catches, but it was on two targets. So again, who's who's going to step up? You know, who's going to step up for for Kansas City? Uh, you know, I like Rasheed Rice, but he also had some drops. Uh, he had some nice catches, but he also had some drops. So um, again. I'm not too concerned about the Chiefs. And my guy, Trent McDuffie, was in one of my uh, bold predictions, and he played amazing. Um, really, really, especially like you talked about in the forced fumble. Um, he also had eight tackles. He led the team in tackles, which is not a recipe for success when your corner is leading your team in tackles. But he showed out um, in, in game one. So, again, big win for the Lions. Uh, not, I'm not too concerned about the Chiefs right now, Julius, but uh, we'll see – if that offense, if the offensive woes continue for consecutive weeks, because if so, even Mahomes can't with Richie James and Kadarius Tony as wide receiver one and two, even he can't make them look good. So uh, we talk about that a lot. Uh, players can make other players better. You can't make people catch the ball. You can't. You can't make someone have not have cement hands. So um, it will be interesting to see what happens uh, moving forward uh, with the Chiefs' offense. 
moving on to the Panthers at the Falcons. And this game went kind of how we thought it would win, Julius. Um, you know, you have Atlanta winning the division. Um, I have the yes, Saints sir. winning the division. Um, but I had the Panthers finishing above the Falcons. But, um, you know, the Panthers' defense kept them in the game for as long as they could. Uh, the offense just did not uh, reciprocate uh, the feeling. So, um, again, for me, this game went exactly how I thought the Falcons' offense would look, though, when we talked about it to, to start the season. Ritter looked terrible. Um, I don't care that he went 15 for 18. People will be like, he went 15 for 18. Look at his completion percentage. At one point in the game, this man was four for five with zero yards. Yeah. Four for five. He had four completions for zero yards. Um, Bryce Young looked like a rookie quarterback. Uh, the Atlanta defense, as I will let this is your shining moment, you talked about it. You said they were going to be a much better unit. Again, I don't know if it's because they were at home and they were just playing a rookie quarterback, but um, they looked good. They looked they looked really, really good. Um, Tyler Algier and, and Bijan Robinson uh, looked like a very dynamic one-two punch. I, I hate that Algier... Um, took all of Bijan's touchdowns. That didn't help me in fantasy, but um, <laughs> Bijan looked like the like the dynamic playmaker we thought he would. That touchdown reception he had, uh, the catch and run was woo. was <laughs> yeah, woo. That that's that's the way to describe that that catch and run. Um, hey, I'm, we have our first blow the whistle of the season. I'm blowing the whistle on Hayden Hurst for throwing Bryce Young's <laughs> first career passing touchdown. Into the stands. What are you doing, Hayden Hurst? You know better than that. Um, but yeah, man, Bryce Young struggled. He only averaged three yards of pass. That's not very good, especially when Desmond Ritter averages more than you. That's not something to be proud of. Um, I, Drake London had zero catches, and he only had one target. That As your wide receiver one and someone that you Ooh. took sixth in the top ten, you just that can't happen. Um, again, we know Atlanta is a run team. You and I know that. The whole world knows that. We know that's the focus. But you're going to have to pass when you get against some better teams. And and their passing game, they didn't need it week one. They're going to need it, though, in the future. And, and again, Kyle Pitts had three targets. He had two catches. So Kyle Pitts had three targets, and Drake London had one. So four targets between your top two receivers. Uh, I mean, that might not be the case. Bijan had six targets, and he had six catches. But... Um, it's just, it was not a good, not a good day, not a good day in the passing game for the Falcons, but, uh, and again, the most important position in football is what, Julius? Play making safety. Shout out to Jesse Bates third. Um, I'll let Julius talk about that though. Two picks. Um, but yeah, uh, the Falcons did what they needed to do to get a W to start the season. They ran heavy and that's what they're going to do every week. Uh, if the defense can play the way it did against the Panthers, uh, the Falcons will definitely make some noise in the NFC South. I enjoyed how the Falcons deployed their backfield in this game. And we did have a question on as to what that would look like. Kyler Algier finished his rookie year very strong last year, so you didn't want to see him get phased out just because you brought in B. John Robinson. But like you said, the B. John Robinson hype, yeah, that was hype for a reason. And you saw it happen, especially on that touchdown catch. Uh, he, he shook my guy, Frankie Louvu, made two more guys miss, walked into the end zone. 
you're going to get Bijan Robinson in situations where he's going to be dynamic as a runner and a receiver. But I like that they manage his workload, especially first game of the season. Again, a rookie that didn't play much in the preseason, so you want to kind of ramp him up a little slowly. And again, Tyler Algier is a good player. He showed that in this game. He had a couple of touchdowns. And to me, Algier looked a little bit more agile this year than he did last year. And if that proves to be the case, then you've really got a beast of a two-headed backfield there. So I like what I saw from them. Uh, to your point on Desmond Ritter, it has to be it has to be better than this. And I understand this is a run-based offense. And if the other team's only going to score 10 points, Atlanta can really go into their comfort zone offensively. But you, you can't start off the game, like you said, with four completions for no yards. And by the way, one of those completions was caught by Desmond Ritter <laughs> for a six-yard loss. Knock the ball down next time. Okay, it hurts your completion percentage a little bit, but why lose six yards when you're having a hard time completing forward passes, which, by the way, were legalized, I don't know, 100 years ago? Try some. Here's the thing. Like you said, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, these are both top 10 picks. Use them. They combined for the same number of targets as Mac Hollins. What? <laughs> why? And here's the thing. The one time, the one time you gave Kyle Pitts a deep shot, he catches it for 34 yards in spite of a pass interference. Let your playmakers make plays. We're going to talk about this with another quarterback later on. Let your playmakers make plays. It's good enough to beat Carolina, but it's got to be better to beat the better teams in this conference. You left Jesse Bates the third for me. He just he just he just proves my point. Play making safety. If you've got that, you can win. Jesse Bates not just two interceptions, but if you look at him, the the interceptions Bates had they almost look like the same exact play twice. They weren't terrible decisions by Bryce Young, but he got kind of baited, no pun intended, by Bates. And in each one, Bates has made an incredible break on the ball, jumped right in front of the receiver both times and made nice kind of slide and dive and catches. Add to that, Bates also forced a fumble on, from Miles Sanders that stopped a drive that looked like it was going somewhere for Carolina. Carolina struggled for offense in this game. They finally got a drive going. Sanders gets the ball. It's Bates who punches the ball out while Sanders is going down. Uh, the Falcons recover, and now that momentum is gone. Atlanta had 10 points in the second half. They were off of Jesse Bates' turnovers. So playmaking safety can change the entire complexion of a game. You saw it here. Uh, like you said, Bryce Young, he looked okay in his debut, but he looked like a rookie. Some good throws, some mistakes. Again, you also factor in that Young's receiving core is not all that great. There's no one guy in particular who really scares you in this receiver core for Carolina. So uh, you get the results that you get. There's going to be growing pains. But uh, Atlanta, again, I like the way they deployed the running backs. Now let's make that passing game a bit more complimentary. With a running game this good, there's no excuse for why with the receivers you got, and I'm counting Pitts as a receiver, with the receivers you got, there's no reason you can't threaten down the field more than one time in an entire game. Moving on to a result that uh, I would say pleased Patrick to a large degree. The Cleveland Browns 
embarrass the Cincinnati Bengals 24-3. to How about them elves, Julius? How about them elves? How about them elves? And, and by the way, let's, let's start there. What, what was up with that? Was that supposed to be an insult for Jamar Chase to call them elves? They have an elf on midfield. I talked about this last year. I don't like the elf on midfield, but they do. So that's not even trash talk. That is something they embrace. I mean, that, calling the Browns elves is like calling the Bengals tigers. I mean, that, that's what they want to be. So I don't get that. But I will say that this is a rivalry that matters more than a lot of people realize. This in-state Ohio rivalry means a lot. Cleveland definitely shows up for these games. There's a reason why Joe Burrow is now 1-5 in five against the Browns. And, uh, yeah, this just is an ugly game for Cincinnati. I'll let Patrick go through the numbers, but the numbers, no matter what numbers you pull out, uh, just terrible across the board for Joe Burrow. I have concerns. I talked about this during our NFL preview episode. That Burrow calf injury, going back to the offseason, again, I said he already had the calf with the sleeve on it before he got hurt. And he wasn't able to do much of anything going into the season. So, there's concern for me. You didn't see Burrow kind of make those off-script plays that you normally see out of him. And I don't know how much of that was bad weather conditions. I don't know how much of that was just good Cleveland defense. I don't know how much of that was rust. I don't know how much of that was just Joe Burrow is not a fast starter to seasons. Last year, he threw four interceptions and I think had a fifth turnover against the Steelers to start the season off. So, We've seen horrendous Joe Burrow in week one before. And again, last year he had the appendectomy situation. So again, he went to the season kind of rusty, not much work. So, you know, we've seen this story play out, but uh, it's concerning nonetheless. Uh, in particular, the fact that Joe Burrow was 0 for 8 targeting T. Higgins. I, I don't know how you go 0 for 8, 8 guard, uh, targeting anybody, let alone a player as good as Higgins. So uh, that's something that needs to be cleaned up and fixed. But I also don't think we can overlook the Browns defense. The addition of Zadarius Smith is a big deal. You know, you had Jadavion Clowney on the other side of Miles Garrett before. Jadavion Clowney, solid run defender, solid edge setter, not going to do a whole lot as a pass rusher. Zadarius Smith can do damage as a pass rusher. So now you can't just focus on Miles Garrett uh, when it's time to look at the Cleveland pass rush. And then on top of those two, a guy who I think can be a very sneaky addition to the Browns defense this year is Agbanaya Okoronkwo. He's a guy I like coming out of Oklahoma. He's a situational edge rusher. He's not going to be a three-down player. But in a part-time role, he did have five sacks with the Texans last year. He comes over to Cleveland, and if you have a guy like him as a third rusher and you let him do just that because he is a bit undersized for an edge, you let him do just that, I think he can have a really nice season. So keep an eye on Okoronkwo. That's the guy I like. Um, Nick Chubb, just want to give him his credit. Uh, 106 yards, just a run-of-the-mill day for him. Again, got it. Belongs in that best running back in the game discussion. Not sure that there's necessarily one best running back, but Chubb's in the conversation. Uh, Deshaun Watson still looks like he's not at his peak form, but after he did run in a touchdown, uh, towards the end of the first half, he looked like he got into a little bit better of a rhythm. Hopefully that continues for him going forward. Uh, the offense looked good enough if the defense is going to continue to play at this level. But, you know, you still want to see more out of Watson and see more out of this passing game for the Browns. 
Uh, back to the Bengals, you know, I talked about another one of my concerns for them was losing both safeties. Uh, they did get a good game out of Daxton Hill. Again, that's the guy they drafted in anticipation of losing the safeties. They could have used those three turnovers from Jesse Bates, though. But anyway, they did have Daxton Hill in this game. He did get an interception in this game. Granted, it was a pass that Deshaun Watson threw straight to him, but he'll caught it. Give him credit. Playmaking safety. Uh, he also had a couple of tackles for loss. So you're encouraged by what you saw from Hill, but you know you got to hope that that continues going, going forward. Last note for the Browns, uh, Tyler Conklin goes down with a major knee injury, torn ACL, MCL. You just hate to see it for a guy that's had his injury issues. He's a great right tackle when he's out there, and the Browns have a great offensive line unit, but that hurts to lose Tyler Conklin. So keep an eye moving forward on that right tackle position because, uh, once again, Conklin is back on the shelf. So... After getting paid the most money and being the highest paid player in the NFL, Cha-ching. your boy comes out <laughs> and and goes 14 for 31 for 82 yards, had a worse average than Bryce Young. He had a 2.6 yards per, per throw. Um, that's hard to do. That's, that's hard to do. That's hard to do in today's <laughs> NFL. That is for sure. Um Gave me zero points out of T. Higgins in my fantasy league, so that was fun. Thanks. Um, on eight targets. Don't even know how I, I. I'm gonna let you guys know right now, listeners. I had two starting wide receivers get me zero points: Drake London and T Higgins. So I don't know how you're gonna win fancy matchups when your two starting wide receivers have zero points. I've never seen it happen, and it wasn't even without like injury. it wasn't even like yeah, without injury. It wasn't even like these are like wide receiver fours. I'm like, oh please God, it's a bye week, have a good game. No, these are guys who played ninety percent of the snap share. So I don't know. Don't think it's ever happened in the history of fancy. I don't know. We, we ain't ESPN. We don't have the stat checkers, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I think it's the worst start to a fantasy football wide receiver core ever. Um, yes. <clears throat> 82 yards in today's NFL. Um, it's impressive. It's impressively bad. Um, you know, I everyone knows if they've listened that I'm not the biggest Joe Burrow fan. Um I will say that I obviously respect him. I'm not going to sit here and say he's not a top five quarterback. I say it jokingly when I say it, but he's definitely a top five quarterback in the league. Um, But for him to have a day like this, I feel like if it was anybody else in the NFL, a.k.a. Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, um, if it was Cam Newton back when he was playing with the Panthers and winning an MVP and going 15-1, and um, they would be having people's heads. They would be having those guys' heads. And, and, and... I don't know if it was because it was against the Browns and it's the Bengals still and all this, but for some reason when the Bengals win, even though, again, in the playoffs, Joe Burrows does not have great stats. Not saying that he hasn't made plays in the playoffs, but if you look at his stats as a whole, they're not great, but people still give him all the credit for running, making it to the Super Bowl. I need him to get all the credit for this loss. <laughs> it's not like right. the Cleveland Browns offense put up 40. It just is. It's not. That's not what happened. Um, so I, it was just a really, really bad performance. Again, I'm with you, Jules. I don't think he's fully healthy. Um, but we talked about the line, even though they've done a lot of work and, and the way he plays football and sits back there and pats the ball and stares down at Jamar Chase. Um, I, it's not going to cut it this year. It's just not. And, and, as you talked about the record against the Browns, you know the Browns are coming out and going to play y'all hard, especially after y'all are trash talking. This is the second game in a row 
Uh, if you go back to last season when they were saying they own Mahomes and they should rename it, what whatever they called it, Bur- Burrowhead. Burrowhead, yeah. Um, just shut up, Bengals. Just shut up and go play the game. <laughs> like just every time you've come out and, and said ridiculous stuff, um, <laughs> like like Jamar Chase. It's just Cleveland. They're still Cleveland. Who cares about them? They're elves. Like all he's just saying all this stuff for no reason. Just be like, yeah, we got Cleveland week one, and just keep it moving. You don't need to give people more motivation to beat you when people don't already like you. So, um, <clears throat> again, uh, you know, I don't think this is the floor for Burrow. I don't think we'll get a repeat performance of this. If we do, then I'll start to be concerned. Um, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, again, though, he's his entire career. He couldn't beat out uh, Haskins at Ohio State. He goes to LSU, and he has Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. So, you know, he's always had playmakers around him. So it'll be interesting to see when people start to blame him and not the team around him. Because, again, it was only 10 nothing at halftime. And, and Cincinnati could have easily still won this game if the offense did anything, and they did nothing. So for me, this loss is solely on, on Burrow in the offense. Um, and, and we'll see if there's a repeat performance of this. I don't think there will be. Uh, but again, if he has a game in the 150s or the 180s, uh, that's going to be it's going to be an interesting to see uh, what's going on in Cincinnati. Um, I'm not a big fan of their head coach either. You know that too. But that's another story for another day. It's week one. I'm not going to overreact to the entire season on week one. Um, but moving over to Cleveland, man, big win for Cleveland. Uh, hopefully, this adds to Deshaun Watson's confidence. Uh, like you said, he got that rushing touchdown, played the little guitar, uh, got excited. Uh, not a great passing day, but again, the weather wasn't great. Um, Nick Chubb just doing Nick Chubb things. My man, my man had over 100 yards, 18 carries, almost average six yards a carry. Um, don't know why they ran Jerome Ford so much. Don't know why he almost got the same amount of carries as Nick Chubb, and he was only averaging two yards a carry. Um, but hey, keep Chubb fresh. You didn't need him. You didn't. You didn't need to run him 30 times this game. So I'm all for keeping Chubb. Uh, fresh, and I want to just you know touch on one of my bold predictions, Julius. And again, it's only week one, but my man Nick Chubb had four catches. I think that's the most catches he's ever had in an NFL game. So um, I told everyone to watch out that there's no other back to try and really, you know, like, there's no Kareem Hunt anymore in the backfield to 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 grab targets like Nick Chubb can. And he's been working on his pass catching. So um, he had the most receptions on the team. So. Um, that bodes well for, for, for what I predicted for his reception total. Um, moving over to the defense, when you were talking about their, um, you know, they added someone on defense. I thought you were going to talk about Dustin Hopkins. My man had a tackle, solo tackle, uh, in the game, you know, uh, Garrett only had two, Garrett only had two and Darius Smith only had two. So Dustin Hopkins right there, baby. Uh, no, but, uh, again, like you said, Zara Smith, huge addition, him and Garrett both had four quarterback hits. I know they didn't get this. Garrett did get one sack, but I know Zara Smith didn't, but still four quarterback hits a piece. That's eight between those two guys. And that's, that's going to cause a lot of havoc, um, for opposing quarterbacks. Um, and, and if Cleveland's defense, as you said, can play the way they played against the Bengals, uh, the sky's the limit for this team, because if the offense ever catches up, that's going to be a very formidable team. Um, again, it, it all depends at the end of the day if Deshaun Watson is going to be a game manager or a game changer. Moving over to uh, the Jacksonville 
Jaguars at the Indianapolis Colts. This game was a lot more competitive uh, than I think a lot of people thought it would be. Um, Calvin Ridley came out and had a hell of a first half. Uh, Welcome back to the Gambler. That's going to be his new nickname from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Julius, and, and I know he, you were big on him this year. Uh, so so was I. Um, he had a hell of a first half, man. Uh, 90 yards, a touchdown, seven receptions. Uh, it, it sucks he only had one reception in the second half, but he still went for over 101 yards in his first game back and a touchdown. Uh, Zay Jones made a hell of a catch for his touchdown. I don't, I don't want to – I do not want to gloss over that. Zay Jones has had a resurgence uh, coming to Jacksonville. He had a great year last year, and he picked it right back up um, this year. And, and we talked about this in the podcast, and we told everyone to avoid Christian Kirk this year. Again, don't want to over – react for week one but he looks like the odd man out in that offense um they paid him a bunch of money so i'm assuming he's still gonna try and be their possession guy but against a defense that people probably don't have much uh hope in to only have one catch uh it's it's not great um again uh lawrence had a really bad interception in this game uh he seems to have these these turnovers um you know in, in the games, he also had a fumble. Uh, it wasn't lost, but he's, he, he did fumble it. Uh, so, you know, it's concerning, concerning with the turnovers. He had the four turnovers in the playoffs game last year as well, so just needs to clean that up. But overall, not not mad at the, at the game that he had. Um, you know, Travis Etienne had a decent game as well. Uh, Tank, Tank Bigsby stole a touchdown from him as well. Uh, Tank did not have a great game. Uh, he he got some yards, but he had seven carries and only had thirteen yards. That's not it's not a great showing from Tank. Um, I know people were high on him, but he also had a fumble. So there were there was a lot of fumbles for for the Jags for playing in a dome. So that's something that's a little <laughs> concerning. Um, Josh Allen, huge game on defense for the Jags. Uh, let me just read this. Josh Allen in the league. Let, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just read this stat line real quick for everyone. Ten tackles, eight solo, three sacks. So three tackles for loss, and he had two quarterback hits on top of the three sacks. So uh, just living in the backfield. Um, you know, Trayvon Walker, big game for him. I know I know a lot of people were com- confused when they took him number one, but a great fit on that defense. Um, I won't talk about the interception. I'll let you do that. Uh, and then just moving over to the, to the Colts, um, Anthony Richardson looked good, in, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think he had the best rookie quarterback showing of, of the day. Um, and it, it was against, a, you know, the team that won the division last year. So I was, I was really impressed with Richardson. Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about with Richardson is uh, don't take the unnecessary hits. Uh, we, we say that about Josh Allen. We, say that about, we said that about Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Uh, RG3, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson doesn't really take that many hits, honestly. But any any running quarterback or any quarterback that has the ability to run, you don't need to take the 250-pound linebacker that can run a 4-4. You don't need to take that hit if you don't need to. Um, Richardson took a couple of them. Uh, there was one hit where he got sandwiched, and I was just like, ooh, watching it. When you're watching, you just kind of, you know, pucker your face up like you just ate a lemon. That was one of those hits. Um, yep. And he stayed down for a while, and I was like, "Oh man, did he?" And when I was when I was watching, I was like, "He might have hurt his non-throwing shoulder." But still, again, unnecessary, unnecessary for him to even have taken that hit. Uh, he's not in college anymore. It's going to hurt a lot more when these guys hit you. <clears throat> um, but 
he was as electric and, and showed off his playmaking ability as, as people thought when he got drafted. So, um, you know, it was for me, it was a great, great uh, first game for him. Um, you know, I just going to give a shout out to my man. Jake Funk got two carries in this game. He a Terp. <clears throat> Again, garbage time. I don't care. I'm going to shout my Terps when I can. Yep. yep. Um, Pittman Jr. Uh, had a great uh, catch and run for a touchdown in this game. Um, which actually gave them the lead. So, you yep. know, until that fourth quarter when they got shut out, but um, they were they were in this thing. So, uh, again, just Deion Jackson, two fumbles, and that's not – the only person that's happy about the, the rushing, the, the, the way the Colts rush in this game is Jonathan Taylor because it, it's not the Chris Jones situation in, in Kansas City, but if anyone showed their value in this game – it was it was Jonathan Taylor because the rushing game besides Anthony Richardson was anemic for for the Colts. It was it was bad. Deion Jackson, thirteen carries for fourteen yards. Nice. Let, let me say that again for y'all. Thirteen carries for fourteen yards. He also had two fumbles, and his longest run was of seven yards. So that means one carry for seven yards, twelve carries for another seven yards. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, beside Alec Alec Pierce, nowhere to be found once again, and they drafted him pretty high to be the complimentary receiver to Michael Pittman. Um, hopefully, he gets it going throughout this season. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was uh, it was definitely a more competitive game than I thought it would be. The Jags closed it out in the fourth quarter, uh, but it was a it was a really good game, and I, and again, to me, just a really good showing from Anthony Richardson. Uh, again, I thought he was the best rookie quarterback uh, of Week One. Winning road games in your division is tough. And we know we have expectations for Jacksonville to win this division and probably win, win the division handily. We have expectations for the Colts to look like a rebuilding team. However, this is opening week and you're in Indianapolis. So I wasn't surprised that this game was close, but it always felt like the better team, Jacksonville, was going to pull this game out. Uh, you talked about Calvin Ridley. He has to be the headline from this game. He looked exactly the same as he did the last time we saw him on the field almost two years ago. So whatever he's been doing with his time away from football, uh, it's been productive because he he didn't miss a beat in this game. Uh, Zay Jones, I'm glad you highlighted the tremendous catch he made on the sideline in the end zone. That looked like an overthrow coming out of Lawrence's hand, but uh, Jones was able to make that play. Uh, you talked about his resurgence. Very quietly, Zay Jones was doing this kind of stuff as a Raider. It's just that, you know, when people talk about the Raiders, it's just all talking about what Derek Carr didn't have. and Oh, he doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. And, you know, when you start going with those narratives, you start overlooking guys. Zay Jones is really good as a Raider, and I'm glad to see him start to get some attention now that he's playing with a team that has a bigger spotlight. Uh, you talked about the Lawrence fumble and... Cartavius, he, he can't be tanked yet. Cartavius, Bigsby fumbles. Those fumbles happened on the same play. <laughs> so it's one of the funniest game, plays you'll ever see. Uh, Trevor Lawrence gets stripped on, and it's one of those plays where his arm is going forward, but the ball came out right before his arm went forward, so the ball still went forward. Bigsby picks the ball up, which he should do, but then he just stands there. I mean, his controller just turns off. And Zaire Franklin comes up, punches the ball out. DeForest Buckner picks it up, and it's a touchdown for the Colts. 
uh, the ultimate rookie mistake. Uh, to just you, you can't be standing in the middle of the field doing nothing with the football in your hand. If you have the ball in your hand, you got to assume something's going on until the ref absolutely tells you nothing is. Uh, so that was a learning moment for him. Like I said, Zaire Franklin punched that ball out. When we talk about the most productive linebackers in football, Zaire Franklin is the guy that needs to be in the conversation. He was that guy last year. And he starts this season off with not just that forced fumble on Bigsby when he wasn't paying attention, but add another 18 tackles to that from Zaire Franklin. So we talk about the best linebackers in football. Uh, Franklin's name doesn't come up that much. And he really only started to emerge because Shaquille Leonard has had such health problems over the last couple of years. But Zaire Franklin's a beast. That's one guy you got to look out for on that Colts defense. Going back to Bigsby, it was a real rookie game for him. The Trevor Lawrence interception actually went off of Bigsby's hands. And to me, that play looked like there was a bit of miscommunication. The timing was off. I think Bigsby wasn't expecting the pass to come into the flat so soon. And he just kind of knocked the ball up in the air. It looked like kind of a panic move. And then that ended up being an interception. So uh, a couple of bad moments in this game for Bigsby. Like you said, he did get the touchdown. So at least he can walk away from this game and say something good happened for me. Uh, but uh, definitely a roller coaster ride for him. Like you said, the Colts actually had the lead late in this game into the fourth quarter, and it was Jamal Agnew, who is a guy, if you watch Jamal Agnew, he just has a knack for making plays. It could be a trick play on a run, it can be a catch, or it could be a return. This guy just has a knack for big plays. So when they needed it most, he came up with the 48-yard punt return. That led to Cartavius Bigsby's touchdown which gave the Jaguars the lead that they never relinquished. So credit to Agnew for being the spark to help Jacksonville win the game. You're seeing special teams have an impact in these games, even though special teams doesn't always get talked about. So good win for Jacksonville. They, they come up with another turnover late and seal the game with the ETN touchdown run. Just a good game for the Jaguars. Uh, as far as, you know, again, not a perfect game, but I felt like they needed a kind of a tough win early in the season uh, to kind of get the season on the right track and pick up sort of where they left off last year. Uh, as for the Colts, like you said, Anthony Richardson certainly held his own as a rookie. Uh, your big concern about Richardson kind of showed his head already. And I'm talking about Richardson being a starter right away with the Colts. In this game, Anthony Richardson ran for 40 yards. The rest of the Colts ran for 25. If you're not going to give this guy a run game, or if you're going to make him be the run game by himself, then you're going to have him exposed to hits like the one that knocked him out of the game that Patrick alluded to. Richardson did run for a touchdown. Jacksonville was ready the next time he tried to do it, and they laid him out. This is one game into the man's career. Somebody's got to be able to run the football not named Anthony Richardson. Did Deion Jackson do something? You talked about 13 carries for 14 yards. How about 18 touches, 28 yards? So you did nothing as a runner, and nothing as a receiver. And by the way, you talked about Deion Jackson's two fumbles. One of those fumbles was on a fourth down. Thanks. We appreciate that. So, <laughs> you know, just you, you got to give Richardson, you can't put the whole offense on him and say, you got to be everything for this team from day one when we know you need time to refine your own game. So I'm, I'm concerned about that. We did see a bad interception in the fourth quarter from Richardson uh, through a pass kind of straight to Tyson Campbell. And again, that led to the touchdown to put the game away. But again, when you're putting the entire offense on a rookie's shoulders, eventually he's going to try to force something. And that's what happened on that Campbell interception. So 
Um, it's encouraging from Richardson. It looks like he's going to be able to hang in there. I still expect ups and downs. You got the full Richardson experience in this game. But if you're not going to give him anything in the run game, then it's going to be a hard, hard year for him. Moving over to a mild upset in my ass, not a major upset, but a mild one. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers go into Minnesota and come away with a 20 to 17 win. This game was the prototypical Kirk Cousins game. And again, I know people think I'm, I'm harsh on him unfairly. Uh, people can continue to think that because every time I tell you about this guy, he shows up and does the same stuff. Cousins in this game, he gives you the 344 passing yards. That's, that's all anybody wants to see from Kirk Cousins. As long as he gets his yards, nothing else matters. 344 yards, 17 points. All that passing, all those yards for nothing. Kirk Cousins, three turnovers in the first half. An interception in the red zone. Uh, again, we talked about Kirk Cousins and how he tends to fail in the red zone. That trend continued in this game. Those interceptions in the red zone. You know, you could have had a field goal there at the least. And how much did you lose by? Three? Oh, it would have been nice if you scored on that possession. Uh, you lose two fumbles. One was a fumbled snap. Uh, the other was a strip sack by Antoine Winfield Jr. Of course, that's Winfield coming from the most important position in football playmaking safety to make a play in the backfield and take the ball from Kirk Cousins. But the ball security is not there. And again, people are just going to look at the 344 yards and say it's not Kirk's fault. Three turnovers, though. The Minnesota offense. You know, I talked about this in the draft. This team had needs almost all over the board. They, they had defensive needs. People complained about the offensive line. You could have improved there. You could have got a running back. What did they do in the draft? Go get a wide receiver. <laughs> so now you come into the season. Kirk Cousins attempts 44 passes. The running backs run the ball 14 times in a game that was close the entire time. This is not a game where it got out of hand and you had to start throwing the ball every down. In a close game, 44 passes, 14 runs for the running backs. Do you care about winning or do you just care about getting Kirk Cousins' yards? I feel like it's the latter for Minnesota. And that's why you lose games like this. On the Tampa Bay side, you know, the quarterback who came in here with far lower expectations, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield wasn't great in this game. As a matter of fact, this offense kind of looked the same way it did last year, if we're, if we're really going to be honest about it. And I know it's offensive to say Baker Mayfield looks like Tom Brady, but yes, Baker Mayfield looks like the washed-up version of Tom Brady. A bunch of short passes, more short passes, and more short passes. Keep almost everything under 10 yards. One occasional deep ball to Mike Evans, just like Tom Brady used to do. Every now and then you throw a deep ball to Evans, but everything else short, quick, short, quick. So Mayfield was able to hit Mike Evans for a deep touchdown. The rest of the game is just kind of short, get it out quick. Catch and fall, catch and fall. It just looked the same way it looked last year. The only difference is, whereas last year, it was, you know, Brady throwing the ball 50, 55 times and not even attempting to try to run the ball. This year, they are trying to run the ball, but they're just as ineffective running the ball as they were last year. Uh, 17 carries for Rashad White didn't even hit 40 yards, so... Again, the same issues in his offense as last year as far as not being able to run and not being able to consistently threaten with big plays in the passing game. But did enough to win. And with the game on the line, it was Baker Mayfield 
who had two key third down conversions. He ran for a key third down late in the game, and he threw one to Chris Godwin late in the game to seal this game. So I got to give him credit because he did come up with those plays when the moments mattered most. The other thing I'll give credit for, again, I talked about special teams in other games. Tampa Bay special teams stepped up. Jake Camarda, and I'll talk about punters often besides the NC State ones, but Jake Camarda, 54 and a half yards per punt. That was the second best we saw in the league in week one. Got a couple punts inside the 20. In a game like this where both offenses are kind of struggling, field, uh, field position matters. And Jake Camarda was doing a great job of flipping the field in the favor of the Buccaneers. Also, the kick that eventually proved to be the game-winning kick by Chase McLaughlin, that was a 57-yard kick. That's tied for the longest in his career. So your kicker and punter step up, and you kind of need that in a game where both offenses are inconsistent. Again, going back to Minnesota, Justin Jefferson, 138 yards in the first half, 12 yards in the second half. Again, the, the fading offense from the Vikings. And, you know, it's just this is this is why we – you and I, Patrick, we picked Minnesota to take, kind of take a step back this year. We just don't trust Kirk Cousins, and we don't trust how this roster is constructed around him because the, the emphasis and the focus from this organization just isn't in the right place. So now Minnesota's got to take this loss, go into Philadelphia on Thursday night. We know what Cousins' record is in primetime. We don't have to rehash that again. It could get ugly in Minnesota early. Tampa Bay, good win to start the season. They've got Chicago coming in. They got a chance of starting 2-0. That's a good deal for the division they're in. But uh, still a lot of work to do for the Buccaneers, but you'll take this win. Yeah, if you just look at the stats to this game, you would think Minnesota won the game. If you just look at the stats, obviously besides the score. I'm talking about if you just looked at the box score and like, oh, look at the passing yards. Oh, look at look at the rush. Look at the total yardage. Look at this. Look at that. Um, but... And somehow Kirk loses the game, you know. And and you and you touched on it already. The turnovers in the red zone, the two fumbles, the pick. Um, again, three turnovers. The ones in the red zone are are awful. You can't have that as a veteran quarterback. Um, you know, Jordan Asson did get a touchdown in this game, but like you said, they had other needs, and you did not have to go and get this receiver when your team has glaring needs everywhere else. Um, Devin White for the Bucks, huge game. Levante David, those guys look like they're back, right? Uh, they were they were injured last year or, or hurt, and it just you know wasn't the same defense as it was last year. I mean, credit this defense for bending and not breaking. You know that can win you a game in the NFL. Um, because the offense didn't do much. Uh, Mike Evans once again just a catching and touchdown machine, <laughs> even with Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball. Uh, Godwin had a good game. Um, you know, Rashad White as the lead back. This team has no run game again, like we thought. The offensive line is not very good. Um, and yet, somehow, Tampa Bay won the game. Uh, I won't understand it. I don't know how it's possible, uh, but they won the game. Uh, my biggest concern with the Vikings on offense was going to be the run game. I talked about that in, in full. I said I didn't care if, if Dalvin Cook stayed there. Uh, they had Their offensive line is not good. Uh, and I wasn't sold on Alexander Madison, and he went 11 for 34. So not a great game running the ball. Um, you already touched on Justin Jefferson. He got his numbers, but in the second half, pretty much was nowhere to be found. Hawkinson had eight catches, but it was only for 35 yards. 
reminds me of the Giants playoff game where they threw it to him seven yards short of the first down for some reason. I just don't get how they use him. Uh, if you're going to trade him and pay him the way you did, use him. You know, again, he had nine targets, uh, and and Justin Jefferson had twelve, but eight catches for thirty five yards, just not going to cut it. You, that's no. We need we need more. Um, I was excited that Raheem Jarrett got a run uh, for Tampa Bay. I'm just happy he made the team. Hopefully, uh, he can get some more uh, looks uh, as a receiver. Um, but with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin out there, probably not many. Um, you know, you touched on a lot of the stuff uh, in this game. You know, when you turn the ball over, it doesn't matter if you're playing an inferior opponent. If you turn it over that much, you're going to give them a chance to win, and and that's and that's what's ha- that's what happened. The Vikings defense couldn't get a stop when they needed to they let baker run it uh for a first down and almost almost got a 15 yard on top of that joyce that was almost a face mask call um shocked they didn't call it just because it was the quarterback but it was baker so um yeah yeah does not i mean it wasn't a face mask but it hit, the arm was wrapped around <laughs> his neck so i'm just you know if it was another quarterback it probably would have been a flag um <laughs> Again, though, it this game, I'm I'm with you. I'm not shocked that Tampa Bay beat the Vikings at home to open the season, but I'm shocked that they did at the same time. I don't really know how to explain it, but it's just kind of one of those things where you're just like, okay, Tampa Bay should be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. Of course they beat the Vikings at home to start the season. Why, why would they not, right? <laughs> just one of those things where it doesn't make sense, but that's the NFL and and – you know, again, any given Sunday, right? That's why people play the. That's why the teams play the games, and that's why people love the NFL because a team that you don't think should win can pull out a win. Uh, moving on to another game that was horrible to watch: uh, the Tennessee Titans <laughs> at the New Orleans Saints. Um, and Julius's old quarterback gets his first win uh, with his new team. One and no, Derek Carr. One and no. Um, had a very Derek Carr-like stat line. I'm sure Julius has seen this stat line a lot <laughs> with, the, with the Raiders. Um, you know, I, again, a, a running game that looked pedestrian and not there. Again, I think week one was just sloppy for a lot of teams. Um, but Jamal Williams, 18 carries for 45 yards, was just getting stuffed. We know the Tennessee Titans' strength is the defense with Vrabel as the head coach. Um, but just... You know, shut him down. Chris Olave had a hell of a game. Um, oh, yeah. Eight catches for 112 yards. Michael Thomas did damage in the first half, and he looked healthy, and that's great. Don't know what happened to him in the mm-hmm. second half. Um, but just seeing, just seeing him out there running routes, catching the ball, then getting up, great sign for New Orleans. Because if him and Olave can stay healthy, then you have Shahid coming over the top. Yes. The passing game can be nasty. So... Again, if Derek Carr can stay the way he played, again, it wasn't a great game, but it was a very Derek Carr-like stat line. Um, still threw for over 300 yards, but he, if he can do what he was doing and, and if those three guys can stay on the field, the passing game for the Saints could be really, really dangerous uh, moving forward. Um, again, we talked about... For me, when I picked the Saints to win the division, I talked about how their defense was getting up there in age, and this is going to kind of be like a last gas for them. The defense, the defense balled out. Three interceptions on Ryan Tannehill. 
they had three sacks, you know, so they they were playing good. And then the sacks came from the guys, you know, Cameron Jordan was there for a half a sack. Uh, Carl Granderson had 1.5 sacks. So, you know, just the team played well. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore had a great interception where he got up and, and, and took the ball yeah. from, from uh, Hopkins. Seeing DeAndre Hopkins in a Titans jersey is just weird to me. I don't think I'll get used to it even as the season continues. Um, Ryan Tannehill should not be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I I just don't. <laughs> After the playoff game that they lost where he threw four picks and, and threw it into triple coverage <laughs> at the end of the game, I just don't know how <laughs> they keep running him out there. Uh, his QBR was a 10.3 in his rating. Again, I'm not a big QBR rating person you don't ever really hear me talk about him the fact that he had more yards than joe burrow daniel jones and all those guys and had worse qbrs and a rating than both of those guys should tell you something it was a 10.3 qbr i don't think i've ever seen anything that low before in a 28.8 rating it's just it's awful it's he's just bad i don't know how he continues to keep his job um derrick henry Luckily, only had 15 carries. I thought they were just going to give it to him 30 times after Tannehill kept throwing inter- throwing interceptions since they were in the game. They never were out of the game. And, and yeah, I thought they were going to run Henry into, into just the brick wall. But luckily, they, like, luckily for Derrick Henry's body, not for the team, but they put it into Tannehill's hands, uh, which never works out. So <laughs> um, big, big win for the Saints. Again, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pretty win. It was ugly football. Uh, you know, you throw for 305 yards and the other team only throws for 198 and has three picks. You think that you would win by a lot more. Um, but it was a struggle in the red zone for both teams. So uh, if you're playing regular fantasy football and you had Nick Folk on your team, congratulations. You may have won with how many points he got you. Uh, I'm pretty sure he probably had over 20 points in fantasy, fantasy football <laughs> this week. So shout out to Nick Folk. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just... For me, the this is more about t- – this happens every year with Tennessee. They don't have a quarterback. And Ryan Tannehill somehow keeps keeping this job. I feel like this is any other quarterback in the NFL. Any other quarterback. I don't if, – if, if Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or any of these guys that the media loves, Justin Herbert, came out and played as Ryan Tannehill has played over the last three years, there's no way they're getting contract extensions. There's no way they're getting – you know what I'm saying? Like I just don't know how he how he has a job still, Julius. Well, that's why Ryan Tannehill doesn't have Burrow money or Herbert money or Josh Allen money. Uh, to, to your point, uh, he had his struggles. I'll get to that in a second. This game had a wild start to it. Opening kickoff, Rashid Shahid. You talked about how much of a playmaker he is. Rashid Shahid takes the opening kickoff. Runs it back, and Amani Hooker just just takes the ball from him, right on the sideline. And I have no idea how Hooker had time to force the fumble and gain control of the football before rolling out of bounds. But somehow he managed to do that. I, I just I can't think. I've, I've seen opening kickoffs fumble before. I just don't know if I've seen somebody like steal the opening kickoff the way Amani Hooker did. So that that was something to see, and so. To start the season, you get that kind of a break if you're the Titans. You kick the opening kickoff, and you get possession first right at the edge of the red zone. 
and you settle for a field goal. <laughs> that was a harbinger of things to come. In that situation, I'm sorry, you got to score the touchdown. It's a sudden change to start the season. Okay, the Saints are fully thinking we're going to bring our offense on the field. We're going to see what we look like with our new quarterback. And all of a sudden, they got to throw their defense out there because the opening kickoff got stolen. And you can't capitalize in that situation for more than just basically going three and out and kicking a field goal. You can't have that. Uh, shout out to Amani Hooker. He also added an interception in this game that killed a drive that looked like it was going to be a scoring drive for the Saints. And again, Derek Carr will do that. Derek Carr will turn the ball over. Derek Carr will kill drives that look like they're going to be scoring drives. I just say that as somebody who's watched him for the better part of a decade. This game became a battle. A battle. If you like kicking, this was your game. Nick Folk and Blake Groupie were going at it. And I, I'm trying to make this as exciting as I can, but that was your heavyweight kicking matchup. Just all field goals back and forth in this game. Uh, Nick Folk, of course, had more fantasy points than the Titans had real-life points. That usually doesn't help you win games. So finally in this game, we did get a touchdown, like you said, from Rashid Shahid, who made up for uh, the fumble on the opening kickoff. And Shahid was also the one to catch a deep pass down the left sideline late in this game to help seal the win. So credit to Shahid for bouncing back. And this guy's just a big play guy. He doesn't get a ton of opportunities, but the opportunities he does get, he maximizes. So he's one of my favorite players. It's weird because he's a wide receiver wearing number 22, but and he changed his number from whatever it was last year. But where's 22 now? Keep an eye out for him because he's, he's just a guy who, whenever he gets a chance, seems to make a big play. Uh, speaking of making big plays, Michael Thomas, his first catch of the season was a 25-yard catch right down the left sideline. Anybody who calls this man slant boy is telling you they don't watch football without telling you they don't watch football. If you think a 25-yard route down the sidelines is a slant route, then I don't know what to tell you. Michael Thomas runs a full route tree, and I just I don't understand where this slant boy stuff came from I'm outside of people just uh, using the Twitter net to come up with their, uh, quote, football analysis. Uh, to get to your point about Ryan Tannehill, it's not just that you had three interceptions, because, you know, a guy can have three interceptions, and, you know, maybe one was a bad break. You know, one might have hit the receiver in the hand. Somebody might have ran a wrong route, something like that. But when you look at the interceptions Tannehill threw, just just terrible decisions. Two of the interceptions, including the one that, that you said Marshawn Lattimore went up and got, these are interceptions that are being thrown into double coverage. I mean, yes, Lattimore made a great play, but two of the three interceptions, there's multiple defenders there. And then you're just like, what is Tannehill looking at? And, you know, Tannehill just never, ever looked comfortable in this game. And you do get the feeling. And this is a team that now for two years in a row, they haven't spent a first-round pick on a quarterback, but they've drafted fairly high-profile quarterbacks in back-to-back -back years. You just feel like this is going to be the year where one way or another, Ryan Tannehill doesn't finish the year as a starter. And this, this, if he keeps this up, he might not finish the month as a starter. So uh, we'll see. But uh, just a terrible, terrible season debut for Tannehill. You'd like to see him be better than this for somebody that's as experienced as he is, somebody that's been with that team as long as he has. Uh, but again, just uncomfortable in this game and really did everything in his power 
to help the uh, help the Saints win their home debut. And you know, if you if you're the Titans, you you're playing the Chargers next week. You're gonna have to score some points against the Chargers, and just don't know if the Titans can uh, with Tannehill playing that way. And the Saints, you, you get Carolina on Monday night again, a chance to make hay of the division. Uh, they're gonna have to play a little bit better than this, I think. Carolina does have a defense I like, but uh, they did good enough to come away with the win. And Derek Carr will will do that for you. He'll if, if all you need is sixteen to win, Derek Carr can get that for you. Moving on to a game that kind of hurt my feelings based on my preseason predictions. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers go into Pittsburgh and just destroy the Steelers. 30 to 7. Now, again, it's just week one, right? I said I would say that throughout <laughs> this episode. So, as somebody who picked the Steelers as an upset pick to win the, NFC, the AFC North, it's discouraging to, to see them come out like this. But at the same time, it is a loss to the 49ers, one of the absolute top two or three teams in the league. What I like about the 49ers in this game is they came out with tone-setting plays at the beginning of each half. Beginning of the first half, they're faced with a fourth-and-one situation. They could punt. They could play it safe. They've got one of the absolute best running backs and one of the better offensive lines in the league. They could have just ran it up the middle and tried to make it work that way. No, they went for that fourth-and-one. They trusted Brock Purdy with the ball in his hands. And they got a completion of George Kittle to convert that fourth down. And that led to an opening drive touchdown for Brandon Ayuk. Then in the second half, he responded to a Steelers touchdown by coming out and bam, Christian McCaffrey, 65-yard touchdown. Just in case you thought you had a chance, Pittsburgh. But uh, back to Brandon Ayuk. I mentioned he's caught the first touchdown of the game. He caught two touchdowns on this game. Uh, Patrick Peterson had absolutely no answer. I, I was hopeful and continue to be hopeful that Patrick Peterson is going to help a Steelers secondary that, that needs help at the corner position. But uh, Peterson is 0 for 1 to start the year. But uh, Brandon Ayuk looks like the real deal. Again, it's just, it's just one game, but he showed flashes of this last year, and he seems like he's picking up where he left off and taking a step forward. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, again, multiple touchdowns in this game. Uh, showed the ability to separate, beat Peterson badly on the route for the first touchdown. Second touchdown, a jump ball. I give Brock Purdy credit because Brock Purdy, like I just said with Desmond Ritter earlier, give your receivers, give your playmakers a chance to make plays. Brock Purdy will do that. Brock Purdy will say, I know you're not open, but I also know you're better than him. Go get this ball. So Brandon Ayuk made that pay off. The other thing Ayuk did is on that Christian McCaffrey long touchdown run, Ayuk got down the field and absolutely wiped DeMonte KZ out of the play. I mean, just bulldozed him. And so when you have your best receiver, and yes, I am saying Brandon Ayuk is the best receiver the 49ers have. When you have your guy doing that, becoming that vicious of a lead blocker down the field, everybody has to buy in. So I just love everything I saw from the 49ers in this game. Uh, conversely, I didn't like almost anything I saw from the Steelers in this game. I thought they gave up on the run too early. I thought they panicked too soon in this game. Kenny Pickett attempted 46 passes in this game. I know I said I expected him to take a step forward. That doesn't mean throw the ball 46 times, and especially against this defense. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren combined to run the ball nine times. 46 passes, nine runs from your running backs. 
You're going to lose every game that you do that. As long as Kenny Pickett is your quarterback and as long as most guys are your quarterback. Unless you have Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or somebody like that. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Dan Marino, baby. Unless you have one of those guys, 46 passes, nine runs is not going to work, especially against a premier defense. And Najee Harris, by the way, averaged five yards a carry in the limited carries he got. So it wasn't like he was ineffective. You just didn't give him a chance. So I just I didn't like the panic from the Steelers there. Uh, the other thing you don't like is the injuries uh, for the Steelers. Deontay Johnson goes down with a non-contact injury. You're kind of relieved that it's just a hamstring injury, but he's still expected to miss some games. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, who seems to get rocked in every game he plays, uh, dealt with a chest issue throughout the game, going in and out of the game. Uh, so those are two safety blankets for Pickett that became unavailable as the game went on and as you had to pass the ball even more. Uh, so there was just no chance after that. Uh, you also lose... Uh, Casey Hayward in this game, uh, he had groin surgery. So that's a big, big presence loss from that Steelers defensive line. So I'm less discouraged about the loss itself because it is the 49ers, even though I'd like to see the Steelers fight back a little more in this game. I'm more concerned about all the damage that was done to the Steelers, um, all the attrition for the Steelers one game into the season. That's going to be a concern for me moving forward. The one a bright spot for the Steelers in this game. What's the guy you expect it to be? T.J. Watt, five tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and a batted pass just for good measure. He did his job. If, if half the team did half of what T.J. Watt did, this would have actually been an entertaining game. But uh, T.J. Watt tried to win this game by himself. Hard to do that as an edge player. And again, San Francisco just looked like a well-oiled machine in this game. Uh, Pittsburgh is going to have to be much better when they play Cleveland Monday night because, again, this is a premier defense, but Cleveland's defense looks like it's on the rise. And if your offensive balance is not going to get better and, and you're going to be missing players due to injury, you're going to, not going to have success against Cleveland either. They've got to establish the run in that game. Uh, the 49ers, they're going to be fun to watch all year. They're going to be a major uh, challenge each and every week. Uh, I just It's just a complete performance from San Francisco. Nothing more to say to that. Just A plus for the 49ers to start the season off. Well, Julius said mo most of it, so I'm not going to bore you guys with just recapping everything he just said. But um, yeah, 49ers looked dominant as we knew they would. Uh, you know, we all wish Purdy didn't get hurt in that playoff game. It may have been a different football game uh, to watch. Uh, he comes back, and, you know, everyone was kind of concerned to see how he would play after. The injury, and he comes out and, and kind of shuts everybody up and has a great game. Um, didn't have to do much. Uh, I don't want to say McCaffrey. I, I don't like to say he was getting bottled up, but, you know, they were kind of, you know, holding him in check until the 65-yard touchdown. Um, but, yeah, that McCaffrey had a hell of a stat line. Um, Sam Darnold, two carries for negative two yards. What are we doing here? Why is Sam Darnold in the game? <laughs> Just terrible. No, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, we talked about him, and I feel like I've talked about him for two years now that we've been doing the podcast, but our guy, Brandon Ayuk, eight targets, eight receptions, 129 yards, two touchdowns. And, and some of those catches were not easy catches. As you said, they were contested. He was covered, uh, and he still came down, down with it. And, just so people understand, Brandon Ayuk was doing everything in this game. That 65-yard touchdown run by Christian McCaffrey is not happening if Brandon Ayuk is not running down the field being a lead blocker for him. So, 
when you think he's just out there making catches, no. Ayuk is doing everything for that team. So I just want to definitely give a shout-out to him for continuing with the play and being able to block so McCaffrey could make that run. Um, defense balled out as we know they would. That's, you know, that's 49ers uh, MO, have a great defense. Uh, Nick Bosa nowhere to be found in this game, but I know he missed time because of contract disputes. But a lot of guys who got paid in the offseason, uh, Julius, did not really show up. Um, you already talked about the safeties and the interceptions. Don't need to touch on that. Um, yeah, so moving over to, to the Steelers, my guy, my, my, my defensive player of the year prediction, because if he's healthy, I'm going to pick him every single year until he retires, TJ Watt. Uh, starts the campaign for defensive player of the year off right. Uh, you already touched on all the stats. I won't repeat them. But, man, he was everywhere. As you said, he was the only one that showed up and tried to do anything uh, for the Steelers. Um, Pickett throwing it 46 times in a game. I don't think they'll ever win a game that he throws 46 times. I, I don't know if they're trying to prove that he is a good quarterback or he was the right selection when they made it. Like you said, they panicked. I do not like him throwing it 46 times in a game. Um, Najee Harris cannot only have six carries ever in any game unless he gets hurt. It, it just makes no sense. Um, yes, Deontay Johnson going down. He was having a great game before he got hurt. Uh, he got hurt non-contact, as Julius already said. That is concerning. Uh, Frymuth got hurt because of Kenny Pickett. Uh, he threw him into that hit. Uh, he almost threw him into a hit like the play right before that one. So, uh, Pickett was throwing his guys into hits. Um, yeah, I just, you know, again, 46, that's way too much for Ken. I know they were down, uh, but it wasn't, you know, at half it was only 20 to 7. It wasn't like it was end of the world, we need to throw it this much. I feel like they didn't even try to establish the run in this game. Uh, so that was that was just kind of concerning for me. You know, you know they drafted an offensive lineman with their first pick. They've, they've reworked that offensive line. Uh, try and use it. You don't need to drop back 46 times with Kenny Pickett. Um, again, you're not going to win a lot of games that way, Steelers. It was a bad first game. Again, it's just week one. T.J. Watt seems to be in midseason form, but he hasn't made it healthy through a year yet, so maybe he's just trying to rack up stats before he goes out. But he had a hell of a game. So um, hopefully, you know, next week you get a little bit better performance going up against a divisional foe, but... Um, if they come out like they did against San Francisco, which they probably won't since San Francisco might be the best team in the NFL, um, it's going to be tough to win games again with, with Pickett throwing it 46 times. I, I have a feeling they're going to try to emphasize the run uh, against Cleveland, but we'll just have to you know wait, wait for this week to come and, and then find out. So moving on to the Arizona Cardinals at the Washington Commanders. Um, I haven't seen an atmosphere in Washington like the one that was there Sunday in, in a long time, Julius. And and it's good to see for a fan base that has definitely been uh, missing that and wanting that. Uh, you know, the new ownership, uh, Snyder is probably the worst owner in all of professional sports. There's a lot of them, and he's right up there. Um, it was just a bad – It was just, man, he just ran that team into the ground. But Sam Howell, you know – I know he's not a rookie quarterback, kind of looked like one, but he he definitely, I think, is an upgrade from Heineke, in my opinion. Uh, again, he took a lot of sacks. A lot of that was him trying to make something out of nothing, though. Uh, ran into a lot of sacks. Um, they couldn't really get the run game going, uh, the commanders. Uh, Antonio Gibson f- fumbled <laughs> again. That's, that, you know, that's, 
<laughs> you hear that a lot with Antonio Gibson. Um, you know, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin were kind of, they got the targets, just didn't make a lot happen in this first game, which which is kind of concerning since it was against the Cardinals. Uh, Curtis Samuel somehow had the most catches and yards for this team. It seems like he comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, but the defense for the commanders is what needs to be talked about. That's what kept them in this game because they were losing uh, going into the fourth quarter, um, which is is wild just to think about with the Cardinals, playing the Cardinals. Um, but no, the defense, man, had 11 tackles for losses, three sacks, uh, six quarterback hits, and and that defense really kept them in this game. Um Lots of punts in this game for both teams. You expect that with the Cardinals, though. Uh, Cardinals had to settle for a lot of field goals as well. If they could have turned one of those field goals into a touchdown, we might be talking about the Cardinals being 1-0, which we know they don't want that to happen. So, um, again, Joshua Dobbs started this game. It's like his third start in the NFL. He's on his like, like eighth team since being drafted. And he had a better QBR rating than Ryan Tannehill. So, time for Tannehill to be benched. <laughs> I'm going back to it. I, I don't like it. Um yeah, uh, again, there's not. I'm not going to sit here and talk about this game too much. Again, for the Commanders, the offense for me kind of looked like how I thought it would look for Week One. You know, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. Um, you know, it was against. The, it was a good matchup. It was a bad team. Uh, you would like to see more from your playmakers. I would have liked to see more again from Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin. But again, I'm not overreacting to Week One. Uh, I would have been overreacting if they lost, but again, their defense stepped up and 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 did what it needed to do. Especially Montez Sweat, um, shout out to him, hell of a game. Um, yep. He's going to get paid in the off season. Don't know if it'll be the Commanders, but he's going to get paid. Jonathan Allen, big game. Uh, again, I talked about him in in the draft, you know, podcast. Emmanuel Forbes, I liked him a lot. He's a playmaker. Well, loved to see him complete that, you know, interception that, that hit him right in the hands. Um, but he didn't, unfortunately. There was a couple dropped interceptions in this game for the Commanders. Uh, but again, uh, we, we talked about this defense is the strong point for the Commanders. Uh, if their offense can catch up to them or just even give you a little bit better performance. Again, Howe got sacked a lot. A lot of that was from him, you know, as a rookie-ish quarterback or young quarterback in the league that has mobility, when the pocket breaks down, you try to escape it or you try to prolong it to make plays. And I think he'll learn from it. Um, that offensive line is not great, so you got to do more quick, quick drops and get out, get it out of your hands. And I think the enemy will definitely, you know, change that. But hey, want to know? And in the NFC East, you definitely need wins. You cannot fall back. Uh, too many games, and this was a game that you did not want to lose as a Commanders fan. So, can't be much, much worse than how they started. You know, again, the offense isn't there yet. But again, Week One, new coordinator, new quarterback. Not too worried about it. Um, they beat Arizona, which is great. You're one and zero to start the season, and and on to on to Week Two. So, uh, again, the Cardinals look bad. Uh, they they fought in the game for as long as they could. Uh, but they're not trying to win football games. So, so you know, big win for the Commanders week one, especially with new ownership. I actually appreciate how the Cardinals came out in this game on the defensive side of the football. They came out with intensity. They came out with bad intentions. They came out with aggression. 
they came out to lay the wood every time they struck somebody. They didn't care if they got a flag here and there for maybe a late hit out of bounds or whatever it took. <laughs> they, they were letting the commanders know we're here. And that was led by Kaiser White, um, kind of an underrated or under the radar free agent pickup. Uh, they plugged him in in the middle of that defense, and Kaiser White was all over the place. And he, he was really uh, setting a tone for this defense. It speaks to why this guy, who, uh, keep in mind, he's following his defensive coordinator over from Philadelphia. There's a reason why he's he's one of the captains on this team. Kaiser White was definitely out there setting a tone. And, of course, he has the trust of his coach. So uh, this Cardinals defense, I just love the way they flew around. We're out there making plays. They scored the only Cardinals touchdown of the game. That came off of a, of a Dennis Gardeck sack. Dennis Gardeck, by the way, two sacks in this game. Had one sack total over the last two seasons. So <laughs> kind of one of the games of his life for sure. And uh, one of his sacks led to the uh, only Cardinals touchdown of the game. So watching that Cardinals defense is just a reminder that when we talk about teams not trying to win, teams trying to tank, uh, just keep in mind, and Patrick knows this already, but just keep in mind, we're talking about the front office. The front office doesn't want to win. The guys on the field do want to win. A higher draft pick doesn't help the guys on the field. So they want to win. They came out. They played some really good football. The Cardinals, in ensuring that they don't win, again, front office decision, you came into the season knowing, you've known since the end of last season, that Kyler Murray was not going to be ready to start this season. And yet, all through the offseason, you never did anything at the quarterback position. You walked around with Colt McCoy at 40-plus years old and Clayton, too. Then, I don't know what, a week before the season starts? They decide to outsource their quarterback position to Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs, who is a great guy, highly intelligent. Josh Dobbs should not be starting for an NFL team in week one, period. And if you really wanted Josh Dobbs to be your guy that bad, you could have signed him four months ago so he could actually learn the offense. But that would be too much like trying. So now you throw in a subpar quarterback with no experience with this team and you get the results you get. Josh Dobbs, under five yards of pass in this game, sacked six times by that very good Washington defensive front, loses a couple of fumbles. Like you said, could have had a couple more turnovers. It was as ugly as you expected it to be. So the Arizona offense, it's it's disappointing just that it's that blatant that they're not trying, but the results weren't uh, disappointing at all just because we knew what to expect. Uh, going over to the Washington side, you know, for those who are seeing Sam Howell for the first time, this is who he is. And like Patrick alluded to, Sam Howell is basically a redshirt freshman this year. And if you watched him at North Carolina, and of course me being an NC State guy, watch a lot of North Carolina football, watch a lot of ACC football, this is who Sam Howell is. You get the bonus plays. You get the off-script plays like he made on the touchdown pass to Brian Robinson Jr. where he can get out of the pocket, buy some time, wait for guys to get open, and make a play. He showed off his running ability in this game. He scored the game-winning touchdown, running the football. Going back to the end of the first half, he had a brilliant pass to Curtis Samuel right on the sideline, tight window throw, going across the field. 
that set up a field goal to end the first half. And this was a game where you kind of needed every point you could get. So you saw good Sam Howe. You saw the Sam Howe who, if he could have been drafted as a freshman, would have been a first-round pick. But then you also saw the other side of Sam Howe. You saw <laughs> what about Sam Howe knocked him out of the first round and into day three. You saw the recklessness. You saw the carelessness with the football. You saw that on uh, the strip sack fumble. That's not a play he should have fumbled on. He had plenty of time, tried to do too much there, started running backwards. There's no, there's no reason why a play should start beyond the 20-yard line and your fumble ends up being recovered at the one. <laughs> you know, that that's just reckless football there. And uh, you did see a bad throw and a bad decision on the interception he threw right to Zayvon Collins. So you got the full Sam Howell experience in this game, good and bad. Uh, again, that's just what you can expect the rest of the season because that's just who Sam Howell has been uh, throughout his young football career, college and pro. Uh, so it's good enough to beat Arizona. And at the end of the day, a win is a win. Okay, I'm not worried about covering spreads or anything like that. At the end of the day, it says Washington is 1-0 in the standings even if it was an ugly win against a team that's going to be competing for the number one pick. You take it how you can get it and then move on to next week. That is the goal in the NFL. There's no style points. There's no poll to rank these teams. Just get the win. So uh, to the commanders, I'll give them their credit there. Like you said, their defensive line looks as advertised. Hopefully at some point you get Chase Young back. I I don't know what kind of stinger he has. Some, apparently it's a super stinger, but uh, hopefully within the next couple of weeks maybe. Who knows? He gets back, and I, I just love to see what he could do on this defensive front. But uh, without him, the commanders aren't going to miss a beat because of all the players they have on the defensive front. And like you said, Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen, along with Deron Payne, all leading the way there. So uh, if you're commanders, you're happy with the defense. You're kind of holding your breath with the offense. But I expect more of the same, and you just hope that this is good enough to win more games than not. Moving over to the other side of the 295 Parkway, the Baltimore Ravens do what they're supposed to do and get a 25 to nine win against the Houston Texans. Uh, I'll jump right into it because I know, <laughs> I know uh, the headline from this game is, is Lamar Jackson. It's how the Ravens play and don't light up the scoreboard. It's, it's going to be a Lamar Jackson microscope. So I'll just go ahead and address that now. Uh, this wasn't a great game for Lamar Jackson. And we talked about it around the league. The top level quarterbacks did not have great games. Uh, Lamar Jackson didn't play at the end of last year. Didn't play at all in the preseason, despite the fact that there's a bunch of new weapons and a new system and everything else. Uh, so now you come into this game, you don't have Mark Andrews. You don't have your safety blanket. So you're coming into a game with a bunch of guys you've never had live reps with and you, you get the results that you get. Uh, there was, a bad interception in this game from Jackson. He, he panicked under pressure, tried to force one into Zay Jones, I mean, excuse me, Zay Flowers, and ended up with an interception. Uh, there was a ridiculous fumble Lamar Jackson had in this game, running around with the ball just way away from his body. I don't know what he was thinking there. And uh, as soon as the Ravens recovered that fumble, he kind of looked at the sideline and kind of patted his chest to say, my bad, but I just don't know what he was doing there. Uh, Jackson did have another fumble in this game. It's kind of a fluke play, just... Justice Hill ran into him in the backfield, knocked the ball out of his hand. So just just weird things going on there. Not sharp at all, but again, you expect some level of rust because, again, they don't let these guys play and knock some of the rust off in the preseason and get familiar with guys they never played with. 
Uh, that said, Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers. R remember, <laughs> remember in our GM mock drafts, I took Zay Flowers as number one wide receiver off the board? You, you saw why. Ten targets in this game. The rest of the Ravens had 11 targets. So without Mark Andrews, Zay Flowers was the guy Lamar Jackson was looking for, whether he was open or not. And Flowers showed you the great footwork, the yards after catchability. That's something that you know, Lamar Jackson hasn't had a lot of. You know, that's something that's what, you know, Marquise Brown was supposed to be. But Marquise Brown, despite the speed, ended up being kind of a catch and fall guy. Zay Flowers can catch a six yard pass, juke a defender. And the next thing you know, he's picking up 15, 20 yards. That, that's what you need in this offense. So I just love everything I saw. Flowers was as advertised in this game. And I'm just excited to see him continue to work and get better. Uh, Baltimore, I talked about the pass rush being a concern for me. Now it's just the Texans, but for one game, they passed the test. Five sacks on the rookie C.J. Stroud. Uh, David Ojabo got a strip sack in this game. Maybe Ojabo becomes that guy. Ojabo was the guy who was productive as a pass rusher in college, albeit just for one year. But Ojabo now is a full year removed from that Achilles tear, so maybe he can be the guy to spark this pass rush. So again, they're one for one against the Texans, and Patrick Queen was being used as a rusher, rusher in this game. I do like that. Uh, if they can get that going, then this defense uh, can be better than I thought it was going to be. But again, I got still have to see it against an offense that's not, you know, under reconstruction. Uh, the concern, of course, from this game for the Ravens, all the injuries. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, and again, I, I'm especially sensitive to Achilles tears now, so I just feel really bad for Dobbins. Uh, this is a guy who rushed back last year from a terrible knee injury, was literally dragging his foot, dragging his leg as he was running last year, never looked right. Uh, he looked pretty decent in this game, actually. He looked pretty explosive on his touchdown run, uh, but he tears his Achilles. He's done for the year, and his contract situation is in a complete mess right now, so this feels terrible for him. Uh, Ronnie Stanley and Tyler Linderbaum both leave the game with injuries, a knee injury for Stanley ankle injury for Linderbaum. It's highly concerning because those are the Ravens' two best offensive linemen. You cannot afford to lose them. That messes up the entire offense if you don't have those guys. And, um, you know, even with those guys for most of the game, the run game was unimpressive for the Ravens. That's usually the staple of this team. Uh, they struggled to run the football as a whole in this game outside of a couple of explosive uh, Dobbins runs. And, of course, you lose Marcus Williams in this game, the most important position in playmaking safety, you lose a player at that position. And Marcus Williams, to me, is a top five or so safety in the game. So to lose him again, they lost him last year to an injury, and he missed a good chunk of the season. They lose Marcus Williams again. And again, for somebody who has concern about this defense, to lose a guy like Marcus Williams is a major concern for me when this team faces somebody better than Houston. As for the Texans, I picked them to finish second in the AFC North. The reason why, in large part, I expected the defense to take a step forward. I thought you saw some of that in this game. They did give up three short touchdown runs, so it looks bad to say, oh, they gave up three touchdowns. But they mostly shut the run down in this game. Will Anderson Jr., you could feel his presence in this defense. He had a sack in this game. He's, he's just going to be a staple for this defense for a long time. So I'm excited about this defense. Jalen Petrie, unfortunately, caught a knee to the chest. And so that knocked him out the game with a bruised lung and, again, playmaking safety. So that's a huge loss if Petrie can't go uh, for a few weeks. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm encouraged with what I saw from the Texans defense. 
And uh, one last note, and I'll give it back to you, Patrick. Uh, C.J. Stroud, uh, congratulations to him. His first career completion was to himself. So first career completion, first career catch on the same play for C.J. Stroud. But other than that, uh, the Texans offense struggled as expected. Yeah, this game went as expected. Uh, again, yeah, if, if you're a Lamar Jackson hater, you are – happy this morning because he didn't throw for 500 yards and run for 300 so um you know clapping your hands um again i the ravens offense didn't look great i i, I agree i don't know if they were deflated because of the jk dobbins injury uh, i feel bad for for dobbins i feel like he just cannot stay healthy he got the first touchdown of the season for the ravens everything was looking fine caught a pass from lamar and just soon as he went down, you just knew it was yep, bad, yep. Um, which just sucks. You know, it just um, – again, Lamar only threw it 22 times. I don't think the Ravens were even trying to, like, put up major points in this game. I, you know, I feel like, it, again, week one for me is now preseason. I feel like they were just kind of out there in their basic offense just trying to, all right, Lamar, get out there, try to make some completions to Odell and Rashad and Zay, see what happens. Um, you know, just try to get some – some, you know, chemistry with them. Um, Justice Hill came in, Hawks two touchdowns. Uh, I think <laughs> Gus Edwards is going to be the main f- back for them moving forward. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think it's going to be a, a timeshare between Edwards and Justice Hill. Uh, but but I think Edwards is going to be the main guy like he normally is when J.K. goes down. You just got to hope Gus Edwards doesn't go down because <laughs> that's normally what happens. That's, that's the pattern that's happened the last two years. So... Um, but I think I think they'll do a timeshare. I don't know if Justice Hill will stay the goal line back, so I don't I can't really give you a forecast for you fancy owners out there of who to pick up on the waiver wire because I know a lot of people, including myself, had Dobbins. Um, so I don't know who to go after. I don't know if I want to try to go after Hill and hope he gets the touchdowns because he only had nine yards, but those two touchdowns are twelve points right there. Um, or if you go after Gus, who will most likely get more yards and 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 get more carries, but. Again, don't really know who to tell you to target in that situation. Um, you talked about Zay Flowers. You and I were both high on him coming out of the draft, and he looked—he looked like the real deal. You know, everyone's been talking about him in preseason. Everyone's been talking about him in camp, and and he came out and showed you his shiftiness. And and even though, again, people were concerned about his size, his ability to make people miss and and take passes over the middle and still make something happen. Um, the defense. The Patrick Queen Roquan Smith combo, they got to find a way to keep that together. I know they've been talking about there's been smoke about trading Patrick Queen or this and that. Nah, y'all need to keep this. Y'all paid Roquan and to get him in here. Y'all need to pay Patrick Queen because 16 tackles and 11 tackles, respectively, you got to keep that together. They they were all over the field, uh, making plays. Um, you talked about the sacks. You talked about a job. I'm not going to get back into that. Um, but Raquan Smith and, and Patrick Queen, man, they were just all over the field. Um, they both had a sack. They both had tackles for losses. Again, double-digit tackles um, just everywhere. And then that's that's kind of the Ravens' defense you expect to see. Again, it was against the Texans. We'll have to see it against the Bengals. We'll have to see it against some of these other teams with better offenses. But, um, you know, first test of the season, it was great. Um, Justin Tucker, automatic per usual. Uh, and yeah, the Ravens just easy win at home like you expected. 
Moving over to the Texans, I, I was impressed with C.J. Stroud. Again, hostile environment, going into M&T Bank, um, going up against, you know, historically a good defense. Uh, going up against Lamar Jackson and them. And I felt like he hold his, held his own again. Throwing it 44 times with C.J. Stroud, just like I said for Kenny Pickett, I don't think that's the recipe for success. Uh, they couldn't get the run game going, though. So, I mean, it makes sense. Um, but I just don't think that's the way you want to go with your rookie quarterback, dropping them back 44 times. Um, you know, nothing. Robert Woods shockingly got 10 targets, caught six of them. Uh, Nico Collins kind of picking up where he left off last season. I know a lot of people were high on Tank Dell. Um, he had four targets, uh, caught three of them. So, you know, he spread the ball around. Again, I, I was I was impressed with how C.J. Stroud looked in, in game one. Um, again, Looked like a rookie quarterback and made some good good passes, made some bad passes. Uh, you see why, Julius, Houston traded back into the first round to get Will Anderson Jr. I mean, we talked about him as a consensus, could have been a consensus number one overall pick if the two top teams weren't quarterback hungry. Um, we had him as the top player in the draft, one of the top players in the draft, and, and he delivered uh, <laughs> game one. Uh Man, his presence was felt in this game for that Texans defense. Uh, it was it was great to see, and you know, pairing him with Stingley Jr. their pick last year. Uh, I, this this has the makings of a defense that maybe in a year or two uh, under D'Amico uh, can can be just a, a strength for this team. And then you hope C.J. Stroud develops, right? So uh, I see where Houston wants to go as an organization for the first time in about. Since the Deshaun Watson scandal, I uh, see what they're trying to do. Uh, again, I think they have the head coach to do it. I just hope that the ownership and GM and all that give this thing a chance to play out and, and develop because you don't get that a lot in the NFL anymore. They want everyone to come in and win 12 games year one, go to the playoffs, and that's just not going to happen. If you let this thing build and you do the right things – I think they have the building blocks and the foundation. If everything pans out, which you hope it does when you draft, um, I, I can see what they're trying to build down in Houston. Uh, moving over to the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears. Everyone's darlings in the preseason. People love the Chicago Bears all of a sudden. Um, it's the Jordan Love era, though, baby. Green Bay, 38-20. to 20. In Chicago. Um, I'm excited about that. I picked Green Bay to win the division. Um, Jordan Love looked good. Uh, I'm not going to say he had an amazing game. Uh, but, again, as a guy who sat behind Aaron Rodgers for years and, and every chance he got to play in the preseason, people had question marks about him. He looked really good. He did what he needed to do. Uh, three touchdown passes. Um, you know, No interceptions. Only one sack. Um just spread the ball around, you know, it was looking good, especially with, you know, his number, quote unquote, in quotations, people can't see it, quote unquote, number one wide receiver, Watson being out. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, you know, four catches, two of them were touchdowns. Um, Aaron Jones concerns me with his injury. Uh, they haven't said how serious it is, uh, mm -hmm. but that, that concerns me. He's their playmaker on offense. He was looking really good in the receiving game and the rushing game before he got hurt. A.J. Dillon does not. Uh, I keep waiting for A.J. Dillon to, to kind of take that next step from just being like a 
very, very worse version of Brandon Jacobs. And and it just <laughs> it just hasn't happened. He runs too upright for me, and I feel like you think he's going to be Brandon Jacobs asking just run people over, and it's just not. I'm, you're just not seeing it happen. And and um, you know, it's tough to say. Uh, when he got in, they they kind of were trying to just bleed the clock and win the game when Aaron Jones got hurt. But um, you, you want him. You want to see him do better than 13 carries, 19 yards. Um, and so that's just. That's concerning for me, uh, but again, you gotta see what happens with Aaron Jones. If he if he is hurt, I think that hurts this offense a lot. Um, but yeah, I like I like. There's not much bad to say about Jordan Love's um, first game as the bona fide starter for the Packers. Julius, a great way to start it. Uh, my man Darnell Savage, he a Terp got ten tackles for the defense. Uh, the defense played how you know we kind of hope they're gonna play this year. Um, you know, that's going to be the strongest point of their team. I mean, if, if Jordan Love plays the way he did in this game, again, I'm not – the Bears' defense isn't a great defense, but it was a road game in the division. So we know that those are hard to win. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, Lucas Van Ness, you know, got a sack, so that's good for the rookie. Um, so, it, you know, they had four they had four sacks in this game which is hard to do against uh, Justin Fields and how mobile he is. Quay Walker got a pick six. A lot of people did not like when he was drafted for them last year. Uh, I, I know a lot of Packers fans who who did not like them uh, taking him. And, and to see him make a play, you know, in year two, uh, you know, of that magnitude is, is, is great. Good, great development. Um, you know, but moving over to the Bears... They're the Bears. They're still building. I know people got excited about them getting Tremaine Edmonds and and, uh, and you know and, and DJ Moore and and Justin Fields is going to take the next step in his development. Let's just give it a few weeks, guys. And it was Week One. Uh, the offensive line still isn't good. Um, the defense still isn't that good, if we're being honest. And we knew we talked about this last year. The Bears need a lot, and they still need a lot. So. Um, even though they got DJ Moore, which is they have a number one receiver now, um, and they did get Tremaine Edmonds, which is great. You, you still have holes on this team in a lot of places. They they weren't a good team when they drafted Justin Fields, and they're still not a good team. So, um, you know, Justin Fields again have had a so-so game. Uh, you know, he made some good passes. Uh, the pick six to to Quay Walker, obviously not a, not a, not a great throw but you don't you know Justin Fields nine carries 79 yards you know Khalil Herbert didn't do much Rashawn Johnson had a decent game on his five carries um it looks like they're gonna go running back by committee um you know I'm not a big fan of DJ Moore only getting two targets a lot of that has to do more with the defense on Green Bay but again Chase Claypool nowhere to be found once again but Whenever you go and get a guy as a number one receiver, just like what Purdy did with Ayuk, and I'm not calling Ayuk the number one receiver in San Francisco, I'm just saying he can be a number one wide receiver. When you go and get a guy to be, you have to give them the opportunities to try and make the plays. So if DJ Moore's on one-on-one coverage, I don't care if it's Jair Alexander or not, you got to give him a chance to make a play. That's why you brought him in. You You didn't bring him in just to run around and only give him two targets. So... Uh, that was kind of concerning. Uh, again, a lot of that had to do with with the pressure and, and the Packers' defense. But um, again, two two catches on two targets just isn't going to cut it. Um, 
for a game plan for the, for the Bears. Uh, Claypool, again, zero catches. He had two targets. Like Claypool and Moore shouldn't have the same amount of targets. Um, but, yeah, the game was kind of competitive in the first half. It was 10-6. Uh, and then the Packers just ran away with it in the second half. So, great start for the team I picked to win the NFC North. Uh, Jordan Love, you can't ask for a much better start to your, to your again, like, bona fide, this is my team, you know, start. Get a division win on the road. Um, and yeah, man, if the Packers defense can play the way they did against the Bears and, and the offense, again, if Aaron Jones isn't hurt seriously and the offense can keep giving you what they were giving you in this game, Packers are going to be uh, trouble for a lot of people uh, in the NFC, especially in the North, Julius. We all know, because we were told directly, that uh, Aaron Rodgers owns the Chicago Bears. Well, apparently that ownership is uh, transferable. New quarterback, same results, same ownership. I actually thought Jordan Love was just okay in this game. Now, again, you're talking about a guy entering a season as a starter for the first time, so I didn't expect a flawless performance. I thought he was okay, and I think people are really rooting for him because Jordan Love has the rare opportunity to follow a legend but be someone that people immediately embrace. Normally when a guy like like Peyton Manning leaving the Colts or Tom Brady leaving the Patriots or Drew Brees retiring from the Saints, normally when you lose a guy who means a lot to the franchise, everybody's kind of hard on the next guy. You don't want to be the guy after the guy. But here, Rodgers left with such hard feelings because Packers fans were just so tired of the drama and football fans in general that like everybody's kind of rooting for Jordan Love. So I think people are kind of looking at Jordan Love through rose-colored glasses right now. Again, he was solid, and he did some good things in this game, no doubt. But I don't think he was quite as good as people are, are saying. But it'll get better, I, I think, because, again, one start in. Um, the offense looked good despite the absence of Christian Watson. And, again, maybe when Watson gets back, things open up even more for this offense, but it looked good. Uh, the, the only bad thing that, from this offense was Luke Musgrave. A couple of times in this game was left wide open. It just fell down. <laughs> one time he fell down before he could catch the ball. The other time he fell down after he caught the ball. Should have had a touchdown, but he falls down and comes up short of the end zone. So other than Musgrave just not keeping his footing on those plays, uh, things went pretty well here. Uh, you talked about Romeo Dobbs. I mentioned him when we talked about fantasy sleepers. You know, he was the darling of preseason last year. Why? Because of his chemistry with not Aaron Rodgers, his chemistry with Jordan Love. Now he gets to play with Jordan Love in real games, and you see the chemistry. I do also like that Jordan Love smart enough to exploit the right matchups in situations. T.J. Edwards, you talk about the Bears' acquisitions to try to improve this defense. T.J. Edwards was one of those acquisitions. T.J. Edwards is a productive player. He's going to threaten for double-digit tackles every game. T.J. Edwards can't run. He cannot cover. So there was a fourth down in this game. You just lined Aaron Jones up, one of the best downfield receiving running backs you'll see. You put him on T.J. Edwards. Jordan Love finds that matchup, exploits it. Aaron Jones goes for a long touchdown. Unfortunately, he got hurt on that play. But, you know, to know already, despite the inexperience, I can exploit T.J. Edwards. Again, a good production uh, player, a good 
IDP player in fantasy, but TJ Edwards in real life, you can smoke him if you can put on a running back on on him and make him cover a running back who can run down the field. So I like what I saw from Jordan Love, but again, there's plenty of room for improvement from where I stand. Uh, as for Chicago, again, it's just one game. Don't want to get too down on them. But what we saw on Sunday looked exactly like what we saw last year. And again, Patrick, you and I both picked them to finish last again in the NFC North. But I was wanting to see a step forward from Chicago in this game, and I didn't see it. Uh, Justin Fields still has to run around too much. Uh, he had a bad fumble on one of the scrambles. Uh, he got popped, and the ball came out in the middle of the field, you know, results in a turnover. Uh, the interception he threw, Patrick talked about it, the Quay Walker pick six. The issue with that is Quay Walker actually had to jump in front of another Packer to make that interception. So just a terrible decision and throw there. Uh, Patrick, you talked about the absence of DJ Moore targets. You had the number one pick in the draft because you were the worst team. You've been looking for a go-to receiver forever. You trade out of the number one spot to get DJ Moore. He cannot, and this, this is one, I don't care that it's one game. He cannot have fewer targets than Deontay Foreman. You talked about how this is a backfield committee. So Foreman's only in there part-time, and Foreman is not a pass-catching running back. He can't have more targets than DJ Moore. That's ridiculous. But the inability to get the ball to receivers, the complete absence of Chase Claypool, like you mentioned. Um, I tried to give Claypool the benefit of the doubt uh, last year because he got acquired in, in, in the middle of the season. Uh, he's had a whole offseason now and still looks like he's clueless in this offense. Uh, he also got punked when trying to block somebody. So, you know, you add the softness factor in there as well. Uh, just, just a complete mess. Uh, the young secondary continues to have young growing pains. Uh, talked about the youngsters last year, guys like Tyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker having their struggles. And like I said, growing pains. Uh, add Tyreek Stevenson to that list. Uh, Stevenson had some mishaps in this game. Uh, he was beaten on the jump ball touchdown from Romeo Dobbs. So, I mean, everything, everything that we talked about from the Bears all of last year looks the way, looks the same way in week one this year. Again, it's just week one, but uh, I was a bit disappointed to see the Bears not look like a team that took a step forward. And we'll see if that step comes at some point. But uh, all of a sudden, this team, one game into the season, looks like another team that could be contending to get the number one pick uh, for the second year in a row. All right. Now, we get to the game of the week. Well, not really, but the Las Vegas Raiders snatch sole possession of first place in the AFC West with a 17-16 win over the Denver Broncos. And let me repeat that sole possession of first place in the AFC West. I may not get to say that on the podcast again this year. So you're darn right. I'm going to milk it for what it's worth. I'm going to say it one more time. Sole possession of first place in the AFC West belongs to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, first and foremost, thank you, Sean Payton. Uh, onside kick to start the game. Uh, and I guess when you come in with all that clout and you can't really be touched, no one can question you in that organization. You can do things like start the game off with an onside kick. 
Everything went well with it except for the fact that it was touched before it went 10 yards. Appreciate the first possession being right at midfield. That led to a short field and a touchdown on the opening draft to start the season. I'll take it. Uh, that was an adventurous first drive <laughs> for it to be a short field. Uh, and you had, had to convert a fourth down with the pass to Devontae Adams, which was a scary pass that was lobbed in the traffic, but Adams was able to come down with it. Uh, you also had Garoppolo run and get hit and stay on the ground for a while. Uh, it was a late hit that was called on Justin Simmons. But, uh, you know, one possession is this season. You're already seeing Jimmy Garoppolo slow to get up. So that's a concerning sign as a Raiders fan. But uh, Garoppolo was able to, to shake it off, get back in the game, and ultimately finish the game. Uh, the other reason I say a thank you to Sean Payton is one of the things he decided to do when he got to Denver was – uh, bring his own kicker from New Orleans, old Will Lutz, kicker who kicked under Sean Payton in New Orleans. So they get rid of Brandon McManus, bring in Will Lutz. Will Lutz misses an extra point in this game after Russell Wilson threw a touchdown on Denver's opening drive. How many points did the Broncos lose by? One. They could have they could have used that extra point that Sean Payton's uh, teacher's pet kicker missed there. So Appreciate everything you did for us, Sean Payton. I feel like Sean Payton did more in this game to help the Raiders win than Josh McDaniels did. Thank you kindly. And again, special teams. We talk about special teams. Again, you miss an extra point in a one-point game, that can come back to haunt you. Uh, Lutz did also miss a field goal in this game, but it was a 55-yard attempt, so I'll, I'll give him a little grace for that. That's not a gimme by any stretch, but the extra point, we appreciate you in Las Vegas. Jacoby Myers. My wolf pack brother. When he was in New England, he had more than 130 catches in his Patriots career before he finally caught a touchdown. In his Raiders debut, nine catches, two touchdowns. So he's with a team that values him as a red zone and end zone threat, clearly. And it was interesting to see him be, even with the presence of Devontae Adams there, Devontae Adams, who's in that discussion for best receiver in the league, Jacoby Myers was kind of the go-to guy in this game, at least before he got knocked out, unfortunately. But uh, he was the guy that Garoppolo was looking for. And I guess, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, former Patriot, Josh McDaniels, former Patriot, Jacoby Myers, form, former Patriot. It felt like there was a bit of a Patriot cult thing kind of going uh, with how much involvement Myers had. But again, he's an NC State guy, so I'm not mad at it. I just hope that he's okay. If he needs to miss a few weeks with, with the concussion, because again, he was knocked out cold this game. Uh, after having a monster game. Uh, but I just I really liked what I saw out of him in his debut. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he did run for a first down late in the game to seal the win. That was good to see. You could see him get kind of emotional and excited at the end of that play. At the same time, Garoppolo ran the ball nine times in this game, and I said he got up slow after one of the hits that Justin Simmons put on him. I don't want to see Jimmy Garoppolo running the ball nine times given his injury history. So let's dial that back up. I know you're excited to make your debut, the new team, a coach that handpicked you. But uh, yeah, let's let's chill on all that running. And uh, by the way, Garoppolo, even though he, quote, finds a way to win, he did kind of put this game in danger. He did throw a terrible pick in the traffic in the end zone. That cost the Raiders points. And again, in a one-point game, any possession can cost you the game. Uh, he's lucky that didn't come back to bite him behind. But, you know, it's just one of those, you know, Garoppolo just, quote, wins. And so you'll you'll take it and you move on. But 
Uh, Garoppolo is going to have to be better next week when the Raiders tra- travel to Buffalo. We'll see if he can be. Uh, as for Denver, uh, new coach, same recurring th- theme. We talked about this last year. If, if the Broncos could just score 20 points, how many <laughs> games would they have won last year? And so you have another situation. 20 points would have won this game. You end up with 16. Uh, you look good in the first half. You had, thir- you had a couple of touchdown throws. Uh, in the first half from Russell Wilson, you had 13 points. Again, should have had 14, but let's miss an extra point. To start the second half, there's a play in this game, and I felt like this was the turning point in the game. Russell Wilson throws a perfect pass down the left sideline to Philip Dorsett II, who has no Raider within 10 yards of him. And somehow, some way, Dorsett doesn't get his feet in bounds. And it, and it wasn't like the ball that, that amount of bounds. I don't know what he was doing. It was like Dorsett just forgot where in the field he was, doesn't get the two feet down. So what should have been a 40-yard completion, because, again, Dorsett caught the ball and then ran down the field with it because he thought he was in bounds. Uh, It turns out to be an incompletion, and it was like after that, Denver had no more explosiveness left in its offense. So blown opportunity there, and again, in a game that's this low scoring, you cannot blow that type of opportunity. Outside of that play, and I guess you can say including that play since Dorsett stepped out of bounds and didn't catch the ball, Denver had 28 plays in the second half on two possessions. Their first two possessions of the second half, they had 28 total plays. That is a lot of grinding. That is a lot of converting third downs and picking up three and four yards at a time. So it's a grinding offense, but you get 28 plays and you get three points out of it. One missed field goal, the 55-yarder, and then Lutz made a field goal. That's all you get. That's all you have to show for for two drives, both of 12 or more plays. All you have is three points to show for it. That cannot happen. If you're going to have these methodical drives that are going to constantly go to third and one, fourth and one type of situations, you've got to be able to get points out of it. And the Broncos didn't do that. And again, that's a theme that goes back to last season. So, you still need to see more out of Denver. Of course, they were missing Jerry Judy in this game. Uh, so you wonder how much of an impact he'll have on his return. But, you know, unfortunately for the Broncos, just not enough playmaking in this game. Again, Dorsett blows the one opportunity they had. As a Raiders fan, I'll take it. It was an ugly win, quite frankly. It was a mediocre performance on both sides. But, again, winning in the division on the road is tough. As a Raiders fan... I will not complain about this one. Yeah, you you touched on. <laughs> I don't. Know, there's not much more to say about this game. This was this was one of the multiple ugly games this week. Um, <clears throat> again, you look at the stats. You're like, oh, Russell Wilson, 27 for 34. Oh, Jim Garoppolo, 20 for 26. But then you're like, oh, 200 yards. Oh, 177 yards. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Russ threw two touchdowns, but again, the missed extra point. I guess, quote-unquote, hurt them since it would be 17-17. to 17. Um, What concerns me is Josh Jacobs, 19 carries, 48 yards. Um, I just feel like the Raiders' play calling was kind of vanilla, and what I mean by that is you kind of knew they were running the ball when they were running it, and you kind of knew they were going to pass it when they were passing it. But, again, Jacoby Myers made great catches and got two touchdowns. Uh, he seemed really pumped to, to be catching those touchdowns. Um Devontae Adams looked like Devontae Adams. He made great catches. 
Uh, I, I just don't like the way that they use Josh Jacobs, and I don't know if it, it was because of the holdout and that was their way to punish him or whatever. You know, I, People don't think that coaches and stuff are that petty. I do. Um, I was happy Javante Williams came back and looked decent after his injury. Yep. Uh, Samaje Pirine, MVP for the Broncos in my opinion. He, The catch that he made and the, the way he made that one defender miss to, to set them up for one of their touchdowns was really nice. Um, I don't even know how he turned that into a first down. That catch he caught like a yard, like it was like a yard pass, and he ran like twenty yards. It was it was that was that was a great play. Not as good as Bijan's play, but it was a good play. Um, he also though his carries all went for good yardage. Um, so a great complimentary back to Javante. Um, you know, Cortland Sutton got looks but it looked like Russ was trying to spread the ball around and not focus on him so that was good to see. Uh you don't like to see uh Greg Dolchich go down uh, and get hurt. We'll see how serious that injury is. Uh but if you guys are in fancy and looking for a tight end, Troutman should get more work now since he went down. Um another Peyton guy. Yep, another Peyton guy. <laughs> uh, that did a lot of good. <laughs> 0 and 1. Um I will say this. The Broncos traded Chubb and they got zero sacks in this game and only had Thank three you. quarterback hits. So, again, Chubb hasn't been great in Miami, but but uh, you need someone who can pressure the quarterback. So Garoppolo by no means is the most mobile of guys, but to only have three quarterback hits and zero sacks, and I'm sorry, they had they yeah, they had zero sacks. Um, you need you need pressure. You need to get pressure on them. Uh, or no matter how good your secondary is as a defense, it doesn't mean anything. So you need someone who's going to step up and get and get that pressure. Speaking of pressure, Max Crosby just does what he does. He got another sack in this game. Uh, yeah. He had two quarterback hits, so, you know, Crosby is going to do what he does. Tyree Wilson, terrible first game for the rookie. Um, wasn't in as much as I thought he would be in, but, you know, he had a, a tackle. Um, hopefully he can get a little bit more pressure. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and get in a little bit more. But, again, to, to go seventh overall and to go above someone like Jalen Carter and things like that, you, you need to produce. So uh, Crosby is going to get his, and Wilson should have throughout the rest of the season plenty of opportunities to, to make to make things happen. I uh, will give a shout-out to my guy, Ja'Cory Bennett, seven tackles. Again, not great to have that many tackles as a corner, but uh, no. you got to make them, though. And they were all seven solo tackles, so you didn't have a missed tackle. So that. That is a uh, that is a um, positive there, but again, the, I guess the I guess you did the Dorset, yeah, the Dorset play. I'm glad you talked about it. Um, obviously, Lutz missed the long field goal, but I guess the biggest play of the game was the missed extra point since they ended up losing by one. But what a what a sloppy game. Um, Raiders come away one zero, and that's a great way to start the. Garoppolo era. Uh, I mean, you need to you need to get wins, especially in the division. Like we've talked about for a lot of these teams that came away or barely escaped, you know, wins in the division on the road uh, doesn't matter if it's week one or week sixteen. They're, they're big, so you need you need them. So that was a big win for Vegas, and we'll see if Denver's offense continues to look anemic like it did last year. I mean, again, you can be happy about the two touchdowns, but what else did you do after that? Um, and, and, again, you talked about the movie. There was only three punts in this game. 
and there was and there was seventeen to sixteen. So that's it's just you normally don't see that. You think well, there's you think there's gonna be eleven punts if it's a seventeen to sixteen game. There's only three punts in this game, and it was the score was seventeen to sixteen. So long possessions, yeah, long possessions. It was just uh, just a just a sloppy game all around too, though. So again, week one, but big win for Julius's Raiders. Uh, moving on to the Eagles at New England, and this was a very, very good game. If you watched it, um, didn't start out that way. Uh, Philly 16-0 in the first quarter. Also, yeah. Mac Jones throwing 54 times. I'm going to say this about everybody besides maybe <laughs> maybe Patrick Mahomes, even with Mahomes. But I don't want my quarterback throwing it 54 times. Again, I understand the situations. I understand why it happened. Um I don't I don't want my quarterback throwing 54 times in a game. Um <clears throat> but anyway, uh Jalen Hurts again, I'm surprised uh, maybe it's because the Eagles won Julius, but I feel like he didn't even get as much hate as Lamar did and he had a very similar stat line uh to Lamar. Right. So um interesting how that works out. Uh, the biggest surprise to me and I think a lot of people is the carries for the Eagles. Uh Kenneth Gainwell, 14 carries. Um, surprise! Jalen Hurts nine. That doesn't really surprise. But then, Boston Ugh. Scott and DeAndre Swift both had one carry, and Rashad Penny had zero. So, um, well, he was a healthy scratch from the game, so he didn't even play. Yep. Um, interesting, interesting way to start the season. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's because no one plays in the preseason. They're like Kenneth was here last year, so he's our lead back. But you, you thought getting DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny, you thought those guys would be. The go-to guys in Kenneth Gainwell will be kind of the third down back, change of pace back. Uh, interesting to see how that played out week one. We'll see if that's how it is moving forward. I know a lot of people who drafted DeAndre Swift uh, kind of high in fantasy is not, are not happy, but definitely an interesting way to start the season in the backfield. Um, the main guys got the targets and catches for Philly, and that's A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. Uh, Smith got the touchdown this week. Uh, they both got 10 targets. They both had seven catches. So, uh, you know, Jalen looked at his guys, and his guys made plays. Um, again, Swift had two targets in the, in, the, in, the, in the passing game, but just his lack of usage really surprised me, and, and the fact that uh, Penny didn't even play also surprised me. Um, Zeke, in the game, had a fumble, and it was on a catch, which was, you know, Interesting that he had seven targets. You don't see Ezekiel Elliott normally getting seven targets, but uh, that that happened. Um, <clears throat> Kendrick Bourne with two touchdowns. Uh, and if people don't remember, he used to only catch touchdowns in San Francisco, so it kind of looks like he's uh, doing the same. He had 11 targets, though. So, um, But uh, Ramondre was big. Both running backs were big in the past game. Uh, that's not surprising for a New England team. Uh, they didn't again. They didn't really get a rushing game going. Uh, again, a lot of that had to do with the Eagles' defense, uh, but also I just fifty-four passes for Mac Jones. Man, I just I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, uh, Christian Gonzalez. Uh, we talked about him being he got a sack, uh, had a quarterback hit, had seven tackles. Again, we're talking about a lot of corners that are getting lots of tackles out here uh, in in the first couple weeks. So. Uh, I like that Nicobe Dean was out there. He had seven tackles for the Eagles. Uh, Jordan Davis just getting hits. He had a half sack, which, again, from that position is hard to do. Um, Jalen Carter got a sack. 
so yeah, no, uh, you know, Eagles, this was a good game. Uh, again, Eagles started this off. Uh, Darius Slay had a pick six that went 70 yards. Um, and again, this game was 16 nothing. You know, you, you looked up and you're like, oh, God, it's 16 nothing. Um, but, you know, in the second quarter, uh, Patriots fought back to make it a 16 to 14 game at halftime. And then Eagles went up and, and New England got that touchdown at the end to try to make it a game. But, um, you know, just a very interesting uh, game. You know, New England fought, which was great. Uh, I'm happy that uh, my man Chad Ryland, he a Terp, was a kicker for the. He didn't get a chance to kick a field goal, but he made both his extra points. So, great start to his career and kicking in New England. Um, but yeah, so good game. New England might, and you know, I had them finishing fourth in the AFC East, but, um, this game showed me that maybe they can actually compete, especially with Aaron Rodgers going down and, and the way Buffalo looks, you know, they could actually compete this year, which I didn't think that I, we didn't think they were going to be bad. We just didn't know if they would be good, but this game for me, really gives me hope that for New England, that they could actually be competitive the entire season. Uh, to your point, the Patriots were the better team for the majority of this game. They happened to lose, but they were the better team in this game for the majority of the game. It's just that that start was too much to overcome. You talked about the Eagles were up 16 nothing before you could blink. Uh, and again, turnovers, the most important stat in football, turnovers. And so, yeah, you talked about the Darius Slade Jr. pick six. That was off of an overthrow. Uh, the receiver was able to get a hand on it, but it was too high. Slade makes the play. He calls himself big play. He made a big play there. Uh, gives the Eagles an early lead. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott fumble, that was actually a fumble forced by Jordan Davis. And, you know, we've talked about how Jordan Davis is the kind of player whose presence isn't going to be necessarily felt in the stat sheet. Uh, but this time it was. This time he made an impact on the stat sheet. He was able to get that forced fumble. And that created the only uh, offensive touchdown drive uh, for the Eagles in the game on a very short field. So uh, the Eagles offense never really hit stride in this game, and they needed Jordan Davis to set that uh, one easy touchdown up. But uh, once the Patriots started protecting the football, they were the better team. Uh, like I said, outscored the Eagles 20-9 to over the next three quarters, and just, just too much of a deficit to overcome. It's just hard to come back from 16 down in the NFL. It may seem routine, but it's really difficult to do that. Uh, there were opportunities at the end of this game, uh, thanks to, again, the Eagles offense just not hitting their stride and not being good enough to put this game away. Uh, you, you know, you talked about the running back situation. And uh, by the way, Kenneth Gainwell was somebody, again, another player who was on my fantasy sleeper list. I said he's competing with two other injury-prone running backs. Uh, Rashad Penny already being deactivated and DeAndre Swift getting minimal work. Gainwell's the guy who's been there. Gainwell's the guy who's been the healthiest out of this trio of running backs and that didn't even include Boston Scott who got the benefit of the doubt just again by virtue of somebody who's been there so Gainwell becomes the main running back here but with you know in an attempt to try to put the game away the Eagles revert to that bad habit of making Jalen Hurts the RB1 and so they have Hurts run up the middle instead of somebody like Gainwell who's having a good game or instead of somebody like Boston Scott or DeAndre Swift you have Hurts run up the middle. He gets popped and fumbles. Now that keeps the game alive. You don't need Hurts to do that. You've got a plethora of running backs you can go to, actual running backs. You don't need your quarterback to fill that role. 
So I just, I, I just get frustrated anytime they use Hurts in that kind of situation because it's unnecessary for him to take that kind of punishment. In this case, he put the ball on the ground uh, because you're not actually using a running back there. Um, the Eagles had another chance to put the game away, but they went for a fourth down. They failed. And again, the guy you talked about, Christian Gonzalez, was the guy who made the pass breakup on that fourth down attempt to keep the Patriots in the game. So you talked about Gonzalez and the sack he had. This guy's a physical corner that showed up immediately for the Patriots in this game. And again, he came up with a clutch defensive play to keep the game alive on a fourth down situation. Uh, it just just so happens in this game that the Patriots were right there. They had an opportunity. Uh, first, they had an opportunity to make this a field goal game. You know, they're down 25-14. They score a touchdown. Coracle Jones goes, gets that two-point conversion. He runs it in. And now we're looking at the 25-22 game. But no, gets called back due to a penalty. And now you have to go for the two-point conversion from the 12-yard line, and they're not able to convert. So missed opportunity there for the Patriots. Then the Patriots got get the ball back again. Christian Gonzalez giving them a chance. Jones threw a strike. And, again, everybody who knows me knows I'm not a big Jones fan, even though Jones looked a lot better in this game, having an actual offensive coordinator, not a defensive coordinator with a pencil in his ear who doesn't know what he's doing. Jones did look better with Bill O'Brien, as I said he probably would, and as pretty much anybody <laughs> said he probably would. Uh, he threw a strike, a perfect pass to Keishon Boutte to keep this game alive. And Boutte, unfortunately, made a college catch in an NFL game, only got one foot down in a situation where he sh absolutely should have got both feet down. So that's just a rookie mistake. This is why I think college football should require two feet to be down and bounce for a catch, but that's not a soapbox I'm going to get on right now. Uh, Butte steps out of bounds, causes an incompletion on a perfect pass, and that pretty much wraps the game up for the Eagles. Uh, again, Philadelphia, you saw some kind of cracks in the armor of the defense. Again, they lost a lot of pieces. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost a lot of pieces on this defense. Javon Hargrave's not there. Uh, you lose both your starting inside linebackers. You lose a couple of safeties in Gardner Johnson and, and Marcus Epps. You lost a lot of pieces. So you expect to see some type of transitional kind of issues. But that said, Jalen Carter, again, as we thought, stepped into that Javon Hargrave role and, and filled the part. And like I said, got a sack. Your presence was felt. So I'm not too worried about that. Uh, N'Kobe Dean, you mentioned him. He actually suffered a foot injury in this game. And, again, this is a guy who was one of the more uh, productive linebackers on one of the absolute best defenses you'll see in college football a couple years ago. Uh, we, we questioned why he fell in the draft. We thought he was a first-round player, but uh, behind the scenes, there was concerns about his durability. And here we are with him finally having an opportunity to have a prominent role with Kaiser White and TJ Edwards out of the way. And in game one, Dean goes down with a foot injury that looks to be pretty significant. So I hate to see that. And again, if you're the Eagles now you've really got to go deep into your linebacker position early in the season more than you wanted to. Uh, so a good win for the Eagles. Uh, it's never easy to go into Foxborough and win, even though the Patriots aren't what they were for the better part of two decades. So you'll take the win for the Eagles, but uh, there, there are some things that still uh, need to be cleaned up in Philadelphia before Thursday. But again, we think this team is going to be all right overall. Going to a wild game over in our old SoFi Stadium, the Miami Dolphins knock off the Los Angeles Chargers 36-34. This 
this was the kind of game. This, this is the game, the type of game that the NFL wants every game to be. A game with very little defensive resistance and a whole bunch of highlight plays on offense. I'm, I'm happy for Tua Tagovailoa specifically to win this game and specifically to win the game in the way that he did. Throwing for 466 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, of course, Tyreek Hill had a monster game over 200 yards, including just one ankle breaker after the next. This guy's immediate change of direction and change of speed ability is insane. But, you know, every time Tua Tungvaloa goes up against the Chargers, it's a referendum on his entire career because everybody says, oh, you should have drafted Herbert. You should have drafted Herbert. You should have drafted Herbert. And every time Tuggle Balow is healthy, he looks like a better quarterback than Herbert. The only question we have is that this guy has suffered multiple injuries that have threatened his career. And so that, that's the concern. But when healthy, you're seeing that Tuggle Balow, just like we saw last year, when healthy, can play at an MVP level. So it's good to see. Um, you know, if you're the Chargers, you know, we talked about this. You need defensive help. We said that all of last year. And instead of going and getting defensive help, you go and get, get Quentin Johnston. Again, great player. I like him. I think he's going to be good in the NFL. But um, And you didn't even play him. You don't even play him. And Mike Williams was hurt for half the game. Fire Staley. <laughs> you, you can see how much of a fan uh, Patrick is of Brandon Staley. If, if you missed all of our podcasts from last year, uh, <laughs> that's how uh, Patrick feels about Staley. But, you know, you score 34 points because you've got the offense and you, you drafted Quentin Johnson, you get that, and you still lose. I just, I just don't get it. But uh, anyway, getting to the game, uh, Miami, the first possession of this game, Miami drives right down the field. No surprise with the score, but they, they turn the ball over. In the, you know, inside the five-yard line, there's a fumbled snap. Chargers recover. So now you've wasted a scoring opportunity. The Chargers take their scoring drive. And go 94 yards because you're just you're thinking, okay, we fumbled deep in their territory. Maybe the defense gets a stop and we get the ball back in good field position. No, the defense doesn't come through for Miami. They give up a 94-yard drive. And that's the kind of start to a game that can that can be a backbreaker. Go down the field, get nothing, then watch the other team march all the way down the field and score. That could have that could have broken the Dolphins, but these guys showed some resilience in this game. And this offense, this offense was so explosive that. You know, talking about this game, you don't even talk about the fumbled snap that cost them points. You don't even talk about the fact that Tua actually threw a pick in the red zone, uh, in the end zone, actually, that uh, J.C. Jackson got. Now let Patrick expand on that some. He had dirt. There you go. <laughs> so, but the offense is so, so explosive that you don't even, you don't even ignore, the, you ignore the fact that this team blew two chances near the end zone. They could have easily scored 40-something points in this game if not for those turnovers, but you don't talk about it because the offense looked so explosive for most of the game. One of the key plays in this game, and I hate to do this to Patrick right after I gave him a little shout-out there. Yep. J.C. Jackson at the end of the first half, for whatever reason, the Dolphins threw a deep ball, just kind of a desperation deep ball, and Jackson just shoved the receiver in the back before the ball got there. Like, I no idea why. So a blatant pass interference on a desperation play just gave the Dolphins a field goal right before the half. And again, you look at the score. How much did Miami win by? Two. Maybe you want those three points back. They don't get those three points if Jackson doesn't commit that penalty. Just, just a weird play from him. He, he knows better than that. Here's one thing, and I, I will criticize the Chargers at every chance I get. 
and we know Patrick will. So I got to leave some meat on the bone for him. But the thing I will give the Chargers credit for is despite the fact that they, again, went out and got another wide receiver, they actually, and despite bringing in Kellen Moore, who I thought would get too pass happy, they ran the ball really well in this game. Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly combined for over 200 rushing yards, two touchdowns. I never thought I'd see the day where this team stuck to the run the way they did instead of just trying to pad Herbert's stats. And so it was it created an effective offense. And I hope they stick with this balance, okay? Herbert's not going to win MVP with the numbers he put up on Sunday, win or lose. But this is the most effective the Chargers can be. Feed Eckler, feed Kelly. Let these running backs work for you. We know Eckler's the engine to this offense. So I like to see and let Herbert be in a complimentary role. Unfortunately, this game again came down to two points. So the Chargers got the ball back, needing a field goal to win. They were in position where they could have made a drive to win the game. On three of their last four plays, they lost yardage. Justin Herbert had an intentional grounding that he shouldn't have had. He's got to be smarter than that. You can't lose the yards and the down in that situation. It was a dumb throw away from Herbert. And he was sacked a couple of times, including Jalen Phillips getting in there to end the game. Jalen Phillips, a pass rusher who I just I, I love him. I wish the Raiders would have been able to get him. But it's another conversation for another day. Jalen Phillips with the sack to, to put the game away. Again, the Chargers with that last drive, just an ugly ending to the game. But overall, a strong offensive performance from both teams. One of the more exciting games of the weekend. We talk about how flat so many of these offenses came out this week. These two offenses did not have that problem at all. <clears throat> Fire Staley. That's going to be my chant. It's been my chant for two years. Um, I know he's been there longer than that, but that's been my chant for two years. Um, I think we're going to make it happen this year, Julius. I think Chargers miss the playoffs. Um, I think Staley's going to get fired, and then my heart will be happy. Um I'll just piggyback off what you were saying, uh, just to start my conversation. Yeah, I was not expecting one. I wasn't expecting Joshua Kelly to average five point seven yards a carry and go for ninety one yards, but also I wasn't expecting them to run as much as they. I mean, they still threw thirty three times, but um, they also ran it forty times. So I like it. Uh, that was way better than what Miami could do rushing. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Uh, Eckler, beast. We talked about this last year. Eckler is your guy. You you have to run the offense through him. I, I I get people love Herbert because they fall in love with the way a quarterback looks. He's six five and has a cannon arm and blah 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 blah. No one cares about that. I care about winning games and being efficient. And when it came down to it, Herbert didn't get the job done, which we've seen over and over again. Um, but Eckler. Man, he the dude just is a baller. Like no, every time he gets the ball in his hands, is a chance to go to the house. He's he, just like Christian McCaffrey, right? Like it, and he had four catches uh, for forty-seven yards. Had the sixteen carries for one hundred seventeen yards. Just overall great game. Um, hate to see Mike Williams get injured again. I know he came back, but he had a head injury. He was out for about a half of football. Um, and this is what I don't get: you draft Quentin Johnson in the first round. Okay, cool. Um, your wide receiver two gets hurt. Okay? Your wide receiver two gets hurt. And yet Joshua Palmer gets more snaps than Quentin Johnson. 
I don't know about you, Julius, but if I draft someone in the first round, you normally expect them to play <laughs> week one. You normally don't draft someone round one and go, you know what? Let's have Joshua Palmer get more snaps than you. So, um, and that's nothing against Joshua Palmer. I'm just saying. You drafted a guy in the first round. You expect him to get more than, I think they said, 28% of the snap count. That just, especially when your wide receiver two gets hurt. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but again, the coaching decisions with the Chargers never make sense to me. Fire Staley. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, now, you know, JC Jackson had a couple bad plays in the game. Um, yep. he, he had the pick, which is great. You know, that he, we know he can make the pick, right? We know he can intercept the ball. Um, there was another play where Tyree Hill ran like a slant and he just stopped chasing him. And Tyreek Hill busted off another 27 yards or something. Like, Jason Jackson was like, all right, he beat me. And just stopped running. He just started jogging. And I was like, what is happening there? So uh, I know you can get beat on a route, but normally you try to at least keep up with the guy. Um, Tyreek can have that effect on you, though. I ain't mad at that. <laughs> so yeah, there was a couple couple not great plays that he, he had. But, um, again, he still had the pick. So kind of makes up for it a little bit, but not really. Uh, but, um, yeah, the defense for Miami, that was my biggest concern coming into the season. Again, Bradley Chubb has just not been what they probably thought they were trading for. Uh, he kind of underperformed in Denver too, opposite Von Miller. So, you know, I, I really need to see him step it up this year. Uh, I'm not going to bury him week one. Uh, Tyree Hill, uh, it's laughable, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it's laughable that people were saying he's going to fall off, he's going to do this, now leaving Patrick Mahomes, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why people think someone can make someone better, right? I'm not saying playing with a great quarterback can't improve your stats, but we saw Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins play with the worst quarterbacks of all time and still put up thousand yard receiving, you know, like if you're good, you're good. Can, can your stats and your stuff get better by playing with someone better? Yes. But if you're good, you're good. Right. And, and so I, you know, it's, it's just laughable even thinking about the conversations last year and I was getting him in the fourth round of, of fantasy drafts. Not anymore. That man was going fourth or fifth pick in most drafts. And um <laughs> and and week one validated his standing for me. I I think he's the best receiver in the league. I know people have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I don't I, I will entertain the Justin Jefferson conversation. I will not entertain the Jamar Chase conversation anymore. And it's not just off week one, it's off of their bodies of work from last year. Um Again, Joe Burrow was terrible week one, so I can't say because of week one. But for me, the way Tyreek Hill, you talked about it, can just change direction and the speed that he can do it at. No one else is doing that in the NFL. And and that's why his nickname's the Cheetah, and that's why he can have 11 catches for 215 yards. I mean, it's just... And everyone thinks, and the funniest part is everyone thought that he just ran fly routes in Kansas City and I'm just like do y'all even watch football like do y'all watch the game most of his catches were 15 yard ins outs curls slants and then he just takes it to the house and he just has that ability and and most people in the NFL 
don't have that ability. And even for his size, he makes contested catches. So if you if you don't watch football and you just listen to, you know, Twitter or, or these box score watchers, you would think that he can only do one thing, and, that, and that's just not the truth. So for me, Tyreek Hill is my number one receiver in the NFL. Again, I'll entertain the Justin Jefferson conversation with people, but uh, if I had to take one guy uh, to start a team around, I'm taking Tyreek Hill. Just healthy, his ability to get separation, even if there's, you know, a sliver of a hole, you know, he, he can do it. Um, and to pair that with Jalen Waddle, and again, Jalen Waddle had a pedestrian day with four catches and 78 yards. Um, that just goes to show you how much Tua was spreading the ball around. Yes, 200 yards went to Tyreek Hill, but that's still 251 more yards that he spread throughout his team. So uh, Tua had a, had a beast game. And we talked about this last year. I picked Miami to win this, win the division, their division, based off of if Tua is healthy. If Tua is healthy, the Dolphins are dangerous. If the defense can even step up to half of what the offense is when Tua plays, they will be up there with the best teams in the AFC. Um, people have the Chargers. A lot of people, the Chargers are a lot of people's picks to, to go to the Super Bowl every year or make a deep playoff run. And for them to win on the road week one, and for Tua to have that performance when there was no run game, essentially, from Miami, um, just impressive. And and you know I'm a big Tua supporter. I've supported Tua last year. I supported Tua, and I've, I've argued with people about, you know, even whenever they were like, when the Dolphins were 1-8 and eight and they put Tua in, and he went 8-1, and one, I think, in the last nine games, and people were saying he doesn't look good in this, and he just came back from a hip injury. Um, I was always defending Tua, and, and now that it looks like his hip is, I guess, as 100% as it's going to be, um, I, you know, if he's healthy, man, that, that team, you can see why they drafted him where they drafted him and why he was the consensus number one overall pick before the injury. It, it's there. He has all the abilities um, to, make, to make the plays, and, and I really like the Dolphins going forward as long as Tua stays healthy. Moving over. Two, to me, was uh, kind of a surprise, Julius, but not not a major surprise. The Rams going into Seattle and winning thirty to thirteen, and and why I say kind of a minor surprise, um, just the the dominance in which the Rams won this game. Um, Stafford threw for three hundred thirty four yards, no touchdowns, no picks, but put up his yardage. Uh, Gino, we talked about this, Julius, and this is sad for me to say. You know, you and I were, were hyped that he had such a good year last year. But in our preseason podcast, I talked about it. You talked about it. The last half of the season last year, he kind of came back to the median of what Gino's been his entire career. Um, and this game just kind of... You look like he's back to just being Gino Smith. And... It sucks. I'm not going to overreact to week one. We've we've been saying that a lot. We're not going to overreact to re- week one. But if you're taking the last half of last year and then coming into this game, it's not a good look. Um, a lot of people had the Rams being a bottom feeder team this year. And for and Seattle, even with Geno last year, they, they're tough at home. And so for them to just get, you know, dominated in the second half of this game, again, they were winning 13-7 to going into half. And they scored zero points in the second half. Um, Kenneth Walker had a decent game, but he only got 12 carries. Um, you know, 
again, just, you know, Cam Akers looked terrible, but, but Kyron Williams came, came out of nowhere, actually looked to give the Rams a nice little bit of a running game. Uh, Puka out of nowhere. I know he's going to be a waiver wire, wire darling, you know, 10 catches, 119 yards. That's not going to happen every, every, every game guys. Just, just, just don't put too much hopes in, in Puka saving your fantasy season. If you drafted terrible wide receivers, um, you know, the game started off the way, you know, Seattle kind of wanted besides Rams getting that touchdown um, at the beginning. But that DK Metcalf route to get his touchdown was just nasty. Put put his guy in a blender, um, you know. But, again, five targets for DK, only three catches, and all, that touchdown was just a thing of beauty. You got Jackson Smith and Jibba, which I'm who I'm high on, five targets, only three catches for 13 yards. Tyler Lockett, four targets, two catches for 10 yards. Kenneth Walker, this I'm only saying this as not five targets, four catches, three yards. Like I, you just can't do that, right? You're not going to win many games doing that. And um, you know, Bobby Wagner being back in a Seattle jersey makes me happy. Uh, 19 tackles, good lord. Um, <laughs> but again, you know, you, we were impressed with with their secondary last year with a, with a bunch of rookies and, and you know our guy, uh, but. You just can't. I don't know, man. You you can't let Puka and Tutu go go for as many yards as they did on you. You can't let them go for two hundred thirty eight yards on you if you're supposed to be a team that is going to make the playoffs and, and and give you know a fight in your division. Now now the Rams are one to know. You got San Francisco in your division. Uh, you know, I I'm worried. I'm worried about Seattle. I'm not trying to overreact, but. The defense didn't look good against a team that had no really great offensive players. And their offense, which is supposed to be their strong suit, you know, on paper, looked pathetic. So my my red flags are are, are, are raised, Julius. My awareness is heightened on the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and you and I both said if, if Geno plays how he played for the majority of his career... It's going to be a long, long season for uh, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, and Week One was not a great start to to, to start their season for sure. Uh, no, not at all. I was concerned that a Seahawks regression might be possible. Um, and again, it is just one game. Let's let's continue to drive that point home. So I'm not ready to to rewrite off Geno Smith and the Seahawks yet, but. You know, this this is this was not good. There's very little <laughs> that you can say positive about the Seahawks in this game. This game was a competitive game for a half. And in the second half, the Rams outscored the Seahawks 23 to nothing. I mean, an absolute beatdown. Now, uh, one thing, you know, we agreed on, we both had the Seahawks second in this division, the Rams third. Uh, but I did say that the Rams are a tough team to project because their health they were a completely decimated team, and you're, you're worried about them being a decimated team again. You know, they lose Cooper Cup, and you're wondering about the health of Matthew Stafford because this guy had concussion and neck issues last year. Two things you really don't want to hear, especially from your quarterback. But uh, Stafford looks spry in this game. Yeah, the, the questions about who would he throw to without Cooper Cup, they, they got answered. You mentioned the names, Puka Nakua, Jatarius Atwell. I'm not going to call him his nickname because I think it's a dumb nickname, but... 
yeah, those two guys, again, they, they both did their thing. And uh, with Puka Nakua, I just wanted to go into him a little more because a lot of people are hearing that name for the first time, probably don't even know how to say it or spell it. Uh, Puka Nakua was actually a very, very productive receiver at BYU when he was healthy. Zach the Wilson, is Zach he got Wilson, baby. A lot. Yeah, well, that doesn't help either. <laughs> he got injured a lot in college. So a, a lot of time spent off the field, uh, you know, some medical red shirt type situations. So, you know, older injury prone receiver going into the draft. It, it, this is a guy, he probably would have been a first round pick if he could stay healthy. So I say all that to say, Puka Nakua might actually save your fantasy season if you if you drafted bad a receiver if you got an injury situation going on there. So yeah, if you can get him, if you're lucky enough to get him, go get him. I'm all for spending the money. If you've got uh, one of those free agent budget type of leagues where you can kind of uh, submit wages for players, absolutely go go get Puka Nakua. Uh, Nakua had a Larger than 40% target share in this game. That's larger than Tyreek Hill's target share in a 200-yard performance. Uh, when you're getting that many targets, and if you watch the game, Nakua was getting targeted all over the field, short, intermediate, deep. He got targeted all over the place. Uh, he tried to have a diving catch for a touchdown, and he could have had an even bigger game if he had came away with that one, but it was a bit overthrown. But they used him like he was Cooper Cup in this game. So at least for three more weeks. And again, we don't know long-term what the cup situation is. We don't know what's going to happen. We All we know right now is he's going to miss at least three more games. So for three weeks, Puka Nakua can be a a productive receiver in this offense. I think he's got the tools, and clearly he's got the trust of Matthew Stafford. And we've seen it with Cup. We've seen it with Charles Johnson. Uh, with Charles Johnson. With Calvin Johnson. If Matthew Stafford trusts you, there's no limit to how many targets you can get. So Nakua has that trust. There's just something to keep in mind there. Uh, the Rams didn't run the ball well in this game. We talked about that some. Cam Akers, 22 carries, 29 yards. You don't like to see that ratio at all. That's Deion Jackson-ish. Uh, Kyron Williams was the more effective runner in this game, but again, one game sample. Uh, so we'll see. We've seen Cam Akers be kind of a streaky player in his career, so I'm not going to write him off for one game just yet. But uh, Seattle, just either side of the ball, there was just nothing. Uh, 38 pass attempts for Matthew Stafford. The Seahawks did not get a sack. Well, we talked about how this is a, a defense that will bend and give up yards but make plays. No turnovers in this game. Uh, the Seahawks defense just didn't make any type of play, and they just couldn't cover anybody. So a uh, little resistance defensively from Seattle. And then offensively, the Seahawks has a team under 200 total yards. You can't get away with that in modern football. Uh, 22% conversion rate on third downs. You can't get away with that. Under 21 minutes time of possession, you can't get away with that. I mean, just there's nothing. You can, if you look at the, everything, there's just nothing that you can look at and say that was good for Seattle outside of, like you said, DK Metcalf destroying Darian Kendrick, who, by the way, struggles in coverage anyway, but looked especially bad on that Metcalf play. Metcalf was good. Bobby Wagner was good, like you said. Uh, Kenneth Walker III did run well until they got phased out of the game because of game flow. But other than those guys, I mean, the fact that you couldn't generate a pass rush against an offensive line that we've had questions about for the last year plus, uh, just an extremely uh, discouraging sign there. So uh, just, just again, it's just one game, but it's just such an ugly way to start the season, especially starting at home, division game, high hopes going into the season. The Seahawks won't be able to play like this and then go into Detroit and win. I can tell you that right now. They've, they've got a lot to clean up. 
Geno Smith has to find a way to regain that form he had from early in the season last year. Because right now, you know, again, going back to the middle of last year, end of last year, he looks like a backup quarterback again. So he has to regain that form. Uh, meanwhile, we'll find out a lot about the Rams next week. They'll play the 49ers. Again, the 49ers are going to test everybody. So we'll see if the Rams have regained their form and have come back to being a relevant team in the NFC or if this was just a really good day where everything went right. So I'm looking forward to getting the answer to that question. They are home against the 49ers, so if they, if they can play like this, they can hang in. I don't, I don't know that they'll beat the 49ers. I wouldn't pick them, but this version of the Rams might have a shot in that game. I also want to clarify, I know Zach Wilson was not the quarterback when Puka was in college. It was, it was a joke about BYU. It was a joke. Well, the cool was there a long time, I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah. So, skip. Now we we reach we reach an interesting time of the show, and you know what? You know what? I'm going to say this. Do you want to do this, Patrick, or do you want me to do? No, nope, you can do it, Skip. <laughs> so, uh, we are skipping the Dallas Cowboys, going with a forty piece, <laughs> beating the Giants forty. To nothing. <laughs> to nothing. Damn. Anyway, uh, the Giants, uh, let's let's say this for the Giants. They looked good for about two and a half minutes. They ran the ball effectively in this game. You know, Cowboys fans were getting concerned a little early because, of course, you drafted Mozzie Smith to, to fix the run defense and one possession in, it didn't look like uh, that impact was going to be immediate. Uh, but then you have a disastrous field goal block, and the, you let the wrong guy get the ball on that uh, field goal block return. Noah Igbenogany, who, if you're familiar with him at Auburn, he's he's a special teams ace. He was a return guy in college. Again, I don't know why it was a first-round pick, but uh, one thing he can do is make plays on special teams with the ball in his hands. So he was right at home uh, running that uh, return back for a touchdown. Uh, then, the, you know, Daniel Jones throws the pick six, but this is one where you have to watch it instead of just looking at the stat sheet. A dump off to Saquon Barkley should be a basic place, a safe play. But um, when you combine the elements, slick football, wet football, with the fact that it was an excellent hit from Trayvon Diggs uh, to lead to the pick six, uh, just bad luck there for the Giants. I want to say this about Trayvon Diggs. A lot of people think I'm a, a Diggs hater. I'm not. I'm just telling you he's not a coverage guy. He's a playmaker. There is a difference. It's not a bad thing. It's just reality. So when you look at the Cowboys secondary now, you've added Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore is as good of a cover guy as there is in the league when he's healthy. And so when you watch how the corners were deployed in this game, it was Gilmore because he's the best cover corner Dallas has by far. It was Gilmore who was matched up against Darren Waller, uh, the biggest receiving threat that the chart that the Giants have. That allows Diggs to do what he does best. Diggs is not at his best just sticking to one guy. Diggs is at his best when he gets to roam around and make plays. The reason Diggs was available and in place to hit Saquon Barkley and knock that ball loose for a touchdown is because he didn't have to cover anybody. He can just run up, follow his instincts, and go make a play. Very physical play. I like to see it from Diggs. Just want to point out that distinction. 
Now, the other interception that Daniel Jones threw in this game, because we talked about Daniel Jones how last year, how he's got Brian Dayball. He's not having the stupid turnovers anymore. He had a relapse moment in this game. Uh, the interception that he threw to Stephon Gilmore, there was no excuse for it. Uh, you understand that getting chased out of the pocket by Michael Parsons is never fun and uh, can make you do some silly things. But, I mean, you're up against the sideline. There's no way, there's no how to make a play. And you still just sling the ball in to Stephon Gilmore, who has perfect coverage. You throw it to him. It's a nice catch by Gilmore, but it's just incredibly stupid, uh, low-reward, high-risk throw. And you hope that Daniel Jones got most of that out of his system, but he just had a relapse moment there. Uh, speaking of Daniel Jones, he was pressured on 15 of his 22 dropbacks in the first half. I mean, he had no chance for most of the game. Again, you're playing in bad elements. You're playing on a wet field. You're playing with a wet football. You don't want to be the team that falls behind because throwing the ball in those conditions is not going to work too well, especially when you have a pass rush like what the Cowboys possess. So... Uh, Jones took seven sacks in this game. Multiple sacks just weren't needed. He kept getting hit and sacked when the game was way out of hand. I don't know why they continue to call dropbacks and not have help in the backfield or not bring in extra blocking tight ends or something. Uh, they just hung Daniel Jones out to dry on a wet field uh, in this game. Just, just a complete mess. Uh, for the Cowboys, Micah Parsons, he, he looks like a defensive player of the year once again. And again, T.J. Watt had a great game, so he's in the lead one week into the season for the, for that award. But Parsons is playing DPOY-level football and uh, had plenty of help as well. Uh, one other player who really struggled for the Giants, and of course, when you're 40 to nothing, that means a lot of guys struggled. But uh, Trey Hopkins, uh, he, just, he just really struggled in this game with penalties. He struggled in coverage. Uh, on a night where the Cowboys didn't have to do much in the passing game, Hopkins still had his uh, struggles in coverage. So uh, just somebody to keep an eye on to see if he can either get better or if they find another alternative for him. And lastly, I just want to shout out uh, Marquise Bell, who was a big presence in this game as well. Uh, when you talk about the Cowboys defense and all the star power they have on defense, a guy like Marquise Bell can easily be overlooked, uh, but he was all over the place in this game as a hitter, as a tackler, uh, just the all-around, the game couldn't have gone any better for the Cowboys. The game couldn't have gone any worse for the Giants. This is one of those games where you're happy that, again, it's the NFL-style points don't count. The Giants are 0-1, but they're 0-1 just like the Broncos are 0-1. doesn't matter if you lose by 1 or lose by 40. So next week's a new week for the Giants. They don't have to play the Cowboys next week, so that's a good sign. They play the Cardinals. Uh, meanwhile, the Cowboys, that pass rush gets to take on Zach Wilson next week. You know they're going to be geared up for that. So... And by the way, you know, remember I said I like the Dallas defense in fantasy. This is why. This is a high-ceiling defense, and you saw what happens if they get a big lead. So this is not the kind of defense you want to fall behind, although you never want to fall behind by 40 in any given game. So with that said, Patrick, let's hear what you got to say. Why are we still talking about this game? Should not take this long <laughs> to talk about this game. 40 nothing. That's all that needs to be said. The Giants suck. Um, so, yeah. So, um, first drive, run game was doing what it needs to do, and that's what should be our strength because our pass protection has got awful. Um, and, I mean, against the Cowboys' defense of, you know, pass rush, so that, a lot of teams are going to look like they have a bad uh, <laughs> O-line. But uh, we addressed the center in the draft, but we still have two really bad guards. Uh, they were there last year, and nothing has been changed. Evan Neal, 
I really need him. Look, I'm not going to write off Evan Neal yet. A lot of people do this with players. You know, um, they did it with Andrew Thomas, and then he became a really good left tackle. Uh, you know, and he took a step up after his rookie year. I'm not going to do it with Evan Neal yet, uh, but I do need to see him improve throughout this season. Again, Cowboys, it's a shitty week one matchup, especially in the rain. Uh, you know, I thought we were going to run the rock, and we did a great job of that on the very first drive, and then the field goal happened, and I don't, it seemed like everyone just decided to be shitty after that. I, you know, I just, Graham Gano gets hurt because he was trying to make the tackle and gets pushed down. So that's great. Who, who knows if we're going to have a kicker? Um, <laughs> Saquon looked fine. Uh, again, I don't know why Daniel Jones, I mean, I do know why Daniel Jones dropped back 28 times, but after it was 26 to nothing, I don't know why we even kept, like, the, the, his one interception, the one for a touchdown, really wasn't his fault. I mean, you saw Diggs sitting there in zone coverage, uh, but, I mean, you were just trying to get the ball out fast. It was like a third and 19. Just get it out to give us room to kick up, to, to punt it. And then, obviously, that happened. So, that just unfortunate. Um, but that second pick really pissed me off because, yes, you're being chased by Michael Parsons. You're out of the pocket. Just throw it out of bounds. It doesn't matter. We, at that point, it was only yeah. 16 yeah. to nothing. You don't... It, you're still quote unquote in the game. Don't give them a short field to get an easy touchdown. Like, like you said, low reward, high risk. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and I hate when any quarterback does that. It makes it even more upsetting when you're had two really bad, unfortunate things happen in a row. Just, just eat the down and live to fight another day, man. Like I just, I don't want to see that again. And, and, um, Again, it's just week one. He was sacked a bunch, and he took a lot of unnecessary hits. I wasn't very happy with Dayball leaving him in for as long as he did. Um, I also don't like that he had more carries than Saquon. Again, a lot of that was because he was like, oh, my God, they're about to kill me. Let me run. Um, yeah. Waller played. I was happy about that. Doesn't look like he injured himself anymore in the game. So, you know, happy that he played and made it through the game. Uh, I need more of Jalen Hyatt and Paris Campbell. Again, Paris Campbell was wide open, and Daniel Jones just missed him on one of the plays, which really pissed me off. Um, but again, th- this game was j- as soon as those the, the blocked field goal and the two picks back to back essentially happened, this game was over. Um, yeah, Trey Hawkins. I don't know why he's on the outside and Adoree Jackson's on the inside. Adoree Jackson looked terrible as the nickel corner. Trey Hawkins looked terrible as the outside corner. Don't know if we need to switch those positions for those guys. Um, but C.D. Lamb also made Xavier McKinney look silly in, in coverage when he was trying to make a tackle. That made me mad. Um, the only bright spot for this team was Deontay Banks. And I'm not just saying that because he's a he's a terp. I'm saying he, he's the only one that actually did well in coverage and broke up a pass in the end zone <laughs> Deontay Banks is the only one that did anything <laughs> and that's not saying much because no one did much so um if he can continue to be a good corner and 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 make plays and be there to get past deflections or interceptions hopefully we figure out the other side of the field because I mean I, I don't think he's going to be Deion Sanders by any means and shut down the entire field every game but we need someone that can do something so and he did a little bit um Besides Xavier McKinney looking foolish when trying to tackle C.D. Lamb in the open field, he had a decent game. Um, yeah, we 
didn't do much though. We didn't really pressure Dak. We didn't really do anything, but um, it was just a bad game. Uh, you, you had those three things literally happen back to back to back. Blocked field goal for a touchdown, interception for a touchdown, interception. You're not going to do much after that. So um, it's week one. It's the first loss. I'm not going to get too high or too low. Uh, but I will say this. I don't care that we're traveling to Arizona. I, we need to beat the – if we lose to the Cardinals, I'm done. I'm done with the season. I don't care. I don't care that's only 0-2. If we lose to the Cardinals, we tank for somebody. We go for that first pick. I, I don't care. If you look at the rest of the schedule for the Giants, it doesn't get easier. Uh, to me, this is a must win, and I, that sounds crazy saying that in week two. But week three, we go to San Francisco, so that's most likely a loss. We play the 49ers hard normally, though, but that's most likely a loss. Then you get Seattle at home, which, you know, they don't try, but it's a it's a primetime game. So uh, then you get the Dolphins, Bills, Commanders, Jets, Raiders, Cowboys, Commanders, Patriots, Packers, Saints, Eagles, Rams, Eagles. So, yeah, doesn't there could be a lot of L's on on this on this schedule. So um, this for me, this is a must win because if we lose to the Cardinals, we're most likely starting 0 and three and you don't make the playoffs a lot starting 0 and three. It very rarely happens. So it's crazy to say, but week two is a must win for the Giants. And again, I know that's a little bit of an overreaction, but just looking at the schedule the rest of the way out, I feel like they have to get the win against the Cardinals in week two. Moving on to the Monday night, uh, Buffalo at New York Jets. And uh, obviously, if you watch football, you know by now, the biggest news out of this game is Aaron Rodgers uh, completely tearing his Achilles and he's out for the season. Uh, I don't know if this is career ending for him. Uh, you know, the only time will tell on that, but being that old and trying to come back from that type of injury, definitely not going to be easy. So, you know, if you like Aaron Rodgers, if you hate Aaron Rodgers, I feel like most people didn't want to see him go out this way. Uh, I'm one of those people. Uh, I would have rather have seen what the Jets could do with a full season of Aaron Rodgers, especially Garrett Wilson. Um, so just sucks. Just sucks that. Again, in my opinion, it, it has to be the turf there. We've seen Sterling Shepard deal with this. We've seen Odell deal with it. We've seen lots of people for the Giants deal with leg injuries. Uh, and for Aaron Rodgers' calf to pretty much just, if you watch it reverberate in the in the replay, which is disgusting, um, it just, you know, I feel like it has to be the field there, and it just sucks that that happened. Um Shout out to the Jets defense. They they held it down and then they got the they got the W. Um, I know Joyce is really amped up to talk about Jordan Whitehead, so I will let him do it. Uh, the craziest stat about those three picks to me, though, Julius, is that they were to they were intended for three different receivers. It wasn't like he was just like Stephon Diggs, Stephon Diggs, Stephon Diggs, crap, three interceptions. He was looking at three different guys on those different plays, and Whitehead still got three picks. Uh, and the picks were good picks. It weren't like they were just like, oh, thank you for throwing it to me. He made some really nice plays on the ball. Um, Brees Hall, if I think if he's fully healthy, he has a 99-yard touchdown on his resume. But uh, he only has an 83-yard run now. Um, uh, but, again, he is going to need to be the bell cow now that Aaron Rodgers is hurt. And I know they brought in Dalvin Cook, and that's fine if you want to give him some carries just to take – 
the hits off of Brees, but Brees needs to be the main back. Um, it's going to be tough, and it's going to be tough for the Jets. We saw this last year. We saw Zach Wilson leading the team, and, and they benched him, and and then they, you know, now he's back. So I really don't know what the outlook is for the Jets, but um, the huge win, huge win against Buffalo. Um Garrett Wilson made one of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen. Uh, Zach Wilson, instead of throwing a back shoulder fade, threw a front shoulder fade. Never heard of it, but that's what he did. Uh, Garrett Wilson tips it one-handed to himself and catches it with one hand. Uh, It was absurd. It, It was ridiculous. It was one of the best catches I've seen for that type of catch. Um. Again, you would just love to see what he would have would have done with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers would have thrown a back shoulder fade correctly. Um, again, the Quinn and Williams looked gassed out there. The defense was doing a lot during the game, uh, but he got paid, so you get out there. Uh, shout out to Xavier Gibson. Uh, if you guys watch Hard Knocks, he was one of the stars of Hard Knocks, and to do a walk off punt return touchdown. Uh, and the punt return was nice too. It wasn't like it was just like a straight line to the end zone. It was it was a nice punt return. Um, got into overtime off of a bank shot field goal, so that was interesting. Uh, but for me, uh, again, for all the good things that New York did, uh, again, it's kind of overshadowed by the Aaron Rodgers injury. Buffalo has no running game once again, uh, and Josh Allen just is. T- turning the ball over at an insane rate. Um, Stefan Diggs is the only one that did anything in the receiving core. Uh, Josh Allen could have had five turnovers in this game. He only had four, uh, three picks and a fumble. And on the fumble, it was a, he like was not paying attention to the snap, even though he called for it to be hiked. And then he tried to run up the middle and just got popped. And I just don't know. Yeah, I just don't know, man. That the loss for the Bills is solely on on Josh Allen. Just the turnovers are just you can't you can't have four turnovers and win too many games. They still had a chance because that's how bad the Jets' offense is without a competent quarterback. Um, they still almost won the game, but uh, Josh Allen with all those turnovers definitely made it almost impossible. And then they get into overtime; they go three and out. Uh, I know there was a penalty in there which set them back, which which you know sucks, but. Uh, they didn't get many yards on the other two plays either. So three and out in overtime, take the L. Uh, Josh Allen looked bad, and it's it's just funny that two pe- two people, Burrow and Allen, that people want to take over Mahomes' top spot um, don't look anywhere close to, to being on Mahomes' level. And they all lost, but, but again, Mahomes wasn't the reason the Chiefs lost where – the other two guys are clearly the reason their teams lost. So, again, for me, quarterback rankings, Mahomes number one, very huge gap. And then you can put whoever you want two through ten. I really don't care at this point. It's Mahomes is clearly head and shoulders the best quarterback in the NFL. And then you all can debate your moms who two through ten. But um, not a good showing for Josh Allen and the Bills. Uh, I'm predicting that Stefan Diggs and Justin Jefferson try to get out of their situations before the end of the season. Because at least Justin Jefferson looked disgusted to be a Viking by the end of that game. So uh, we'll see what that comes 
what happens with that, but just a bad start for the Bills. Uh, just more turnovers for Josh Allen. He leads the league in turnovers since he became a, since he got into the league, and that's not a good thing when you're on a list with Matt Ryan, who didn't play last year, um, and and uh, all this other stuff. So didn't play the entire year. I mean, uh, and so um, just not good that you there are that many turnovers uh, to to start your career. Um, yeah, a lot to follow up on there. Um, the first point, I'll just, just get this out the way. Um, on the two guys, four balls podcast page on Facebook, yeah, you can find my list of uh, quarterback power rankings going into the season. Uh, there was a lot of heartache. I got a lot of criticism, a lot of vitriol for ranking Lamar Jackson ahead of certain guys. And, you know, Josh Allen was one of those guys. And it's funny because, you know, all day Sunday, I had to hear from all those people who, you know, hate Lamar Jackson. Um, but then all of a sudden, Monday night, all those, you know, all those people who said, oh, Josh Allen has to be ahead of Lamar. All of a sudden, I couldn't find those people. So uh, funny how that works. I just wanted to address some of that here. Uh, to address something else you said, uh, of course, the unfortunate headline for this game is Aaron Rodgers and the Achilles tear. Again, I'm extra sensitive to Achilles tears right now. So I'm even more disappointed and, and feel bad, feel worse than I normally would because I'm still going through it myself. Um, but Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. and doesn't even get to complete a pass as a New York jet. Well, before this happens, uh, if you had told me before this game that Josh Allen would have more interceptions than Aaron Rodgers would have pass attempts, I would think that was the craziest thing someone ever said. That would be a bold prediction. And it unfortunately would have been a correct prediction just based on uh, Rodgers going down so early in the game. To back uh, Patrick's point, this is not new. If you've listened to Patrick talk for the last year, he's talked about this many times, uh, the turf and the issues it causes, particularly at MetLife Stadium. David Bakhtiari, who, of course, protected Aaron Rodgers' blind side for years in Green Bay, He's got a whole series of tweets going on on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it now. Uh, if, you, if you do a search on David Bakhtiari, he's, he's got a whole series of things. I mean, he's at in the NFL asking why we got to play on turf. And, you know, you've put natural grass out there for soccer players, but you won't put it out there for us. Uh, David Bakhtiari is posting charts and graphs that show statistically the difference in injury rates between playing on natural grass and playing on turf. I mean, he's he's going in. So David uh, David Bakhtiari and Patrick are on the same page. They're on the same warpath with this with this turf, and the evidence is starting to to mount more and more as we see more injuries like this. Uh, to get into this game. You know, Zach Wilson came in. He was okay. I think the bar and the expectations are so low for Zach Wilson at this point that a lot of people on TV are talking about how great Zach Wilson looked. I'm like, no, he looked like Zach Wilson, but <laughs> we can we can pretend he looked like something better than he was just because, again, the bar is so low. Uh, the interception he threw was, again, just a perfect pass to linebacker. Just uh, That's Zach Wilson for you. And like you said, the touchdown, that's Garrett Wilson just making an amazing play. On Tredavious White on a well-respected corner. Uh, of course, this injury destroys my prediction of Garrett Wilson winning Offensive Player of the Year. That cannot happen with Zach Wilson. Uh, but because Garrett Wilson is so talented, so good, uh, he can make catches like the one you saw him make for that touchdown and still uh, be a, a relevant player 
But uh, yeah, I just wish I would have gotten to see Garrett Wilson play an entire year uh, with a top level quarterback. I won't get that now. So just sad all the way around. And even when the Rodgers injury happened, you you felt even through the TV, you felt the energy in the air just go right out of the building, even before it was announced as to how serious the injury was. It's it's just a shame, you know. You spend all season, all off season, waiting for this moment. Uh, it, Aaron Rodgers. If, it, if they weren't talking about the Cowboys on ESPN and NFL Network and, and FS1, they were talking about Aaron Rodgers. And for that to just go away, uh, it's, it's a shame for all of us involved. Uh, but to get into this game, uh, Josh Allen in an opportunity to take advantage of the other team not having their quarterback. This version of Josh Allen is, is just one that drives you crazy because he came into the league kind of doing these things. And Josh Allen, by the way, is a quarterback that I wasn't high on coming out of Wyoming. He far exceeded my expectations, if I'm going to be honest about it. But, you know, you felt or hoped a couple of years ago that he kind of moved on from being this guy. I mean, when you look at the first couple of interceptions he threw, I mean, he just launched the ball down the field. It's, it's, it's not like he didn't see the coverage. <laughs> it's not like he didn't see the extra defender there. It's just, I mean, especially the first interception, it just seemed like he just wanted to see how far he could throw the football. Like in the middle of the game, that's all he wanted to do. And so bad interception after bad interception after bad interception, each one by Jordan Whitehead. And you already know what I'm going to say. Most important position in football, playmaking safety. Even when your franchise quarterback, who's supposed to be the savior of your franchise, goes down, you can still win a game if your safety is out there making plays because it is the most important position. That's why Zach Wilson can beat Josh Allen. Because quarterback's not the most important position. Playmaking safety is. By the way, the three interceptions by Jordan Whitehead is his career high for a season. He's never had more than two interceptions in a season before this year. And he's got three in one game. Thanks to Josh Allen. And thank Josh Allen even more because Jordan Whitehead in his contract had a $250,000 bonus if he hit three interceptions for the first time in his career this year. So Josh Allen, who is, by the way, Josh Allen, he's a nice guy. He's a charitable guy. I got to give him that. Josh, Josh Allen, that uh, charity extended to Jordan Whitehead. Josh Allen literally earned Jordan Whitehead a $250,000 bonus by himself. So nice job done there for Josh Allen. And like you said, Xavier Gibson saves the day with a game-winning punt return touchdown. You don't know what Zach Wilson would or wouldn't have done if he got his hands on the football in overtime. So best-case scenario is to keep him off the field and still find a way to win. It's going to be tough sledding for the Jets moving forward. Uh, of course, I picked the Jets to win the division, but I picked the Jets to win the division because I didn't think Zach Wilson would enter week two as a starting quarterback. Uh, if this is what it's going to take, if it's going to take four turnovers, and by the way, the, the fumble Josh Allen had, I mean, it was the rare double fumble. You fumble, pick the ball back up, and fumble again. Just it's a complete mess from Josh Allen in this game. But if it's going to take four turnovers and a punt return for a touchdown just to win a game, in overtime, that's not the greatest sign going forward. You're not going to go into Dallas and get four turnovers and a punt return touchdown and win the game that way. So the Jets are going to have to figure something out. And I know Cowboys fans are thinking, oh, you might get four turnovers because you might have made their own quarterback. But, hey, it's not 
sustainable. <laughs> Even if you can do it against Dallas somehow, it's not sustainable for the whole year. The Jets are going to have to find a way to generate some offense. The only good thing I can say, and I said this uh, even before the season, Zach Wilson looks to be better, in a better place, have a better attitude. Again, I don't know how much of that's going to uh, play into his actual play on the field, but he seems to at least be more positive. Last year, anytime Zach Wilson had to enter the game, the team's demeanor just went down. Joe Flacco was terrible last year. Mike White was terrible last year. But the team played more inspired when those guys were in the game just because they had a more positive presence. Wilson seems to have a more positive presence this year. We'll see if that translates to anything uh, anything as far as the scoreboard goes, but at least there's that little bit of hope. I will say this. The Jets should not and probably will not go and try to pursue somebody else to be a starter. There's nobody out there. Sorry. Uh, Zach Wilson is, is the bed that you're stuck with and have to sleep in now. That's just the reality. Um, you talked about Brees Hall. Just going to touch on this quick and then wrap this up. Brees Hall had 10 carries in this game, and he's currently second in the NFL in rushing yards, only behind Christian McCaffrey. That should tell you enough about how explosive Brees Hall was in this game. And I think he looked fully healthy, except for just his lung capacity. I think his wind is why he didn't get that touchdown uh, as, a, as opposed to any issue with his knee or with his legs. I just think he just completely ran out of gas because he had run that long and that far for a long time. So I'm very encouraged by what I saw out of him. And you can just see just night and day the level of explosiveness that Brees Hall has versus Dalvin Cook. It's laughable that anybody thought Dalvin Cook was brought in to be the main back here. Uh, Dalvin Cook's a nice insurance policy, but Brees Hall's the man and he'll get ramped up. And he'll show you, as long as he can stay healthy, he'll show you why he is the man in that backfield. So, uh, lucky win for the Jets, but they'll take it. As for the Bills, just a lot to clean up. But it's 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 fixable. <laughs> just got to protect the football. If I'm the Jets, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you want to bring in a Carson Wentz, Flacco again, Matt Ryan, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I mean, we, could go, we, we can go down the list, right? I don't know if we're bringing in those guys. Um, Colt McCoy, maybe, but I still don't yeah. think that that's a, that's an upgrade. Um, but if I'm the Jets, I feel like every time Zach Wilson comes into the game, they play scared and they play like, oh God, yes. he's yes. going to mess up. No, just let that motherfucker sling it. That's what Zach Wilson does. Mm-mm. You, you, you picked him way earlier than you and I both thought he should go because he can mm-hmm. throw it uh, 80 yards in the air or whatever they said. Just let him do it. I'm not saying do it every play. Don't go in there, though, and go run first down, run second down, third and eight. If it's a third and eight, oh, God, please complete this nine-yard curl route. And don't play that way. (laughs) Don't play that way. And that's what they did. I mean, I understand they were in the game and they just didn't want to lose the game on on, uh, Monday night, even though they did have to get more points in the fourth quarter. But your defense is good enough that he does throw a pick or if he does fumble or something, if he throws a 70-yard pick or a 60-yard pick, it's pretty much a punt anyway. So your defense is good enough to be able to handle that and absorb that. But just don't stick to the short, quick, underneath routes. At least let him try to throw. Like, this is now that this has happened with Aaron Rodgers, as unfortunate as it, as it is, this is it. Y'all had Super Bowl aspirations with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying that Zach Wilson's going to give you that. But this is your year to figure out do we have something here? You don't know if Aaron Rodgers is coming back now, even though you signed him to a two-year contract. You figure out if you have someone with Zach Wilson, and if you don't, you either trade or you draft a quarterback of the future, hopefully. Next draft, right? You know what I mean? You, you got to figure it out. Like, you can't 
just hide him behind Aaron Rodgers and hope he learns something in the two years that Aaron Rodgers was going to be there. Now you got to let him try and, and, and air it out. You have the weapons to do so. I just don't – I did not like their game plan once he came into the game. I, I get it. You lost Aaron Rodgers on the first drive. Everyone's deflated. You could feel it in the stadium. I'm, I'm happy they won the game to give those fans something. But um, I don't know. That's just my thought. I agree. I agree. You can't go into a shell. You, you've put, you've based everything on Aaron Rodgers. Understand that. You brought in Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator. You brought in two of his favorite receivers. I wouldn't have brought them in, but you did. Um, you got to try to make it at least look similar. You can't do what you did last year where every time Mike White and Joe Flacco played, you threw the ball 50 times. But when Zach Wilson played, you threw 17 times. You can't do that anymore. You, you got to go for the wins here. You're still built a Super Bowl roster in your mind. You got to try to go for it. And again, you're stuck with Zach Wilson. You could have had a better backup plan if you pursued it. You didn't. Let that man, I don't want to say cook, but let him simmer a little bit. <laughs> All right, that's our coverage for the NFL Week 1. I know it's a lot, but, uh, you know, we, we talk about every team. So, you know, we have fans from every team and around the world. So, you know, we got to talk about everything. But we'll put those uh, numbers into the, to the description so you can hear what you want to hear. Um, just moving around the sports world, we're going to do it real fast just to wrap up this podcast. But uh, for me, uh, big, big, uh, it's the last major of the tennis tennis season. It was the U.S. Open. And shout out to, my, to you know, most people are rooting for Coco Golf. Uh, you know, won her first major. Uh, you know, after losing the first set, she came back to win the next two in dominant fashion against the now world-ranked number one tennis player. So, um you know, after all the pressure and all the comparisons to Serena because she had that run at the French when she was like 16, um, just a lot of composure for her, and she's handled it all very well. So, you know, I'm excited for her future. I don't want people to be like, how many will she win now? Is she going to get into the 20s? Like, just let this girl mm -hmm. live her mm -hmm. life. Just let Exactly. Y'all did that with Osaka when she came out, and she started to have mental health issues, which hopefully she's good now because – she was dominating for a good like two or three year span before taking a leave of absence and just let these athletes become athletes. You know what I mean? Like even when Nadal and Federer were out there making number nine and number 10, y'all weren't putting the amount of pressure that I feel like you put on these other athletes. So um, shout out to her. Glad she won. And speaking of greats, um, it burns me to say this, but Djokovic with his 24th, um, it's kind of getting undeniable now to, to call this man the goat. So, um, he gave a shout out to Kobe Bryant. I don't know if y'all saw that. He, because it was his 24th, he had Kobe on the shirt, said 24 when they met. So that was kind of a mm -hmm. nice little shout out to Kobe. Um, but yeah, just dominant performance for, by him. Uh, unfortunately, Alcaraz lost in the, in the semis, so we didn't get to see them in the finals, which I think would have been a much better final than he had against Medvedev as he won in straight sets. But, um, Djokovic's a beast. Like I said, hurt, it hurts me to say because I'm a Nadal fan, but. Can't deny this man's greatness and uh, just has so many records on the singles tournament that um, who knows how many more years he can keep it up, but doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. So that's my quick uh, what's happening, Julius. What's going on over in the sports world with you? Uh, just to follow up, shout out to Coco Golf, uh, 19 years old, overcoming all the pressure that comes with being an American, trying to win the U.S. Open, uh, pulling it off against a, a powerhouse, a powerhouse in Arvita Sabalenka. Uh, like I said, number one uh, to do that. That's just amazing. So shout out to her. 
And like I said, Novak Djokovic, he, he doesn't necessarily have the most endearing personality. Uh, he's been controversial with uh, different things, with uh, vaccinations and all that stuff. But uh, when it comes to on the tennis court, uh, the guy just gets the job done. Uh, by the way, just a little quick note, I don't mind him mocking the Ben Shelton celebration. That all, all comes with the territory. Again, Djokovic can rub people the wrong way, but that's that's nothing. But yeah, 24 majors, that's everything. So shout out to him. Uh, just a couple of quick baseball notes. Uh, Matt Olson hit his 51st home run tonight, uh, which ties in with Andrew Jones for the record for most home runs in a brave season. Uh, it's, it's just crazy to see Matt Olson having the career, uh, the year that he's having, uh, leading the majors in home runs and RBI, and then being on the same team as Ronald Acuna, who has 37 home runs and is the first player ever with a 30-60 season. Acuna could have a 40-60 season uh, at the rate he's going. It's just crazy. I, I don't know if I've seen two players who are this tight as teammates as far as MVPs in the same season and both having historical seasons. So shout out to Olsen and Acuna. They're just monsters at the top of that Braves lineup. And a uh, bit of down news, uh, Jason Dominguez, who looked really good, the Martian, uh, coming up at his Yankees uh, debut a uh, guy had a couple of really, really fun weeks in the majors, showed off immense power at the plate, really brought a spark to that team. Uh, he's now out for the season with a UCL tear. So we've seen a UCL tear uh, ruin uh, one of the most fun seasons we've ever seen out of Shohei Otani. He can still hit, but can't pitch. And now a UCL tear ends the season for uh, Jason Dominguez. Uh, just unfortunate that uh, this happens because he's such a young star player but uh, it just seems like and i've never thought i'd say this in my life but it just seems like the yankees can't have nice things this year i know nobody will shed a tear for that but it's still sad to see that does it for this week's episode of two guys four balls podcast uh, we appreciate everyone who listens and, and and takes the time out of their day to, to give us a listen again you don't have to listen to the full three hours uh we know it's a lot but again we want to touch on every team because we know the major sports next networks don't so we just want to give some in-depth analysis for each team out there, especially if you're a fan of like Arizona, Houston, some of these other teams that probably aren't getting uh, national coverage as if you watched anything today, it was all about Aaron Rodgers. So um, again, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we have a lot of content on Facebook, um, on our Facebook page, uh, as Julius already said, his quarterback power rankings. Um, you know, we do, we do some other fun things on there. So uh, definitely follow us. That's at two guys, four balls podcast. Again, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, uh, Instagram, uh, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.